0: Broaden our minds, Lawrence.
1: From the Ancient One studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 114 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast, take two. I am your host, Dan. I'm Brendan. And we are joined by our dear friend, Tyler Emerson, again. Tyler, welcome aboard, man.
2: Thanks. Good to be here.
1: Yep. And we are happy to note that this is going to be a semi annual versus an annual event now to have you on to talk about stuffs. So that is really cool to have you back so soon. Kind of, since it's usually in the summers that we get to sit down with you. So,
2: I mean, if we can get back to an annual GHB, I'm sorry, guys. I'd rather just talk to you once a year wow. about this than, than twice. Wow. If it means we get to, I mean, I, I love you too, but come on now. I think about all of us are about done with a six-month business.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. We talked about it last time. I'm not a fan of the Double Handbook product. I'm not a fan of it being a $100 investment for some people, right? The high-end tournament players, the cost is going to be the cost. It's going to be what it is. I just don't see the justification for the majority of players who play what would amount to one tournament every six months. Right. Because you can theoretically play your
1: pickup games however you like. So with that all being said, Brenda, what do we got going on then?
0: Yeah, talking handbook part two with Tyler. The other is a major correction scriptorium because <laughs> I went to go download this book <laughs> yesterday. God. I didn't have anything going on. I was going to get a major jump on book eight, you know, because Dan was going to have the paper copy. And maybe
1: just once I could beat him to the finish line.
0: <laughs> go to download it. Yeah, it's not book (laughs) eight. No.
1: So we'll talk about that more in Scriptorium. And then we have another fiery death in Whispers that we are going to talk about. Mm -hmm. So that will be under other games. Otherwise, gentlemen, I think we are ready to roll into Whispers from the Warp.
3: Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Tyler is the guest.
1: You can regale us with your hobby progress.
3: Excellent, so
2: got some practice in with an airbrush. Oh, like nice, a, new toy, Yeah. I'm afraid like of like a little kid with a new toy and I did <laughs> not know how to use it very well. So my friend Bryce is quite patient in teaching me. And yeah, I'm airbrushing up some Nurgle. Did the priming, some using the good old Slap Chop. Oh yeah, did Rob Simes. sure. Yeah. Brendan made the joke in our first take, About, you know, easy army to paint, easy army to play. I did not appreciate it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you get that here,
0: you know. You only get made fun of if we like you.
1: That's right. Oh, man. Okay, so Nurgle it is. Mm-hmm. Brendan, how about you? Secret
0: Acon hobby. Oh, uh, you know, yes. It, when it comes time to reveal it, you know, it'll be revealed. Tyler's seen the work in progress on on what we're doing.
1: Uh, cryptic foolishness, and that's fine. It's yeah. all
0: good, man. The other bit is I've been working on the skin tone scheme for the Sons of Bahamut army. Mm-hmm. You know, especially now in this particular handbook, it's a good time to start painting giants very dry brush heavy layering technique so that'll be real interesting very different approach that i took with this pretty happy with it so good when it gets done i'll share it with everybody and, that'd be and wonderful that kind of thing looking so looking forward to that yeah
1: i finished my tree lord ancient it looks like i'm only going to have one of those after a pre-show discussion with you guys i may end up when i finish this either finishing a unit of tree revs or building and painting a regular tree lord and so we'll see how that goes but that's my hobby the ancient is posted on twitter now so people can see sure. what it looks like what's your handle stormcaller dan
2: mm-hmm. i'm following you but i was trying to find your handle and i couldn't pull it up okay yeah. Color, Dan. I want to look at this yeah. tree lord
1: here. I did some crazy stuff with his staff. The petunia bloom on the end just didn't cut it for me, so I did a little conversion. It looks much more evil. Evil. <laughs> <laughs> looks like it can actually hurt somebody.
2: Okay, what the hell? Somehow I'm not following you on Twitter well uh, here we we'll go work that out. fixing that right
3: now dan
0: okay well great well, that's up until awesome. very recently all of dan's posting was done effectively either through my account or the show okay. account exactly okay. so
3: like,
2: that's very yes. weird uh, yeah. right. oh this looks great dude
1: oh thank you got
2: yeah. the old school green rims love it
1: yeah gotta get some of that in there you know can't forget yeah don't tell no. Vince. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my hobby Let's move on to pre-orders. Really, the pre-orders are all about guard. Astra Militarum, whatever you want to call them. But there's guard, there's guard, there's more guard. That new Rogaldorn this- tank is so cool. That looks pretty cool compared to the regular Lehman Russ. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Those artillery pieces, that one multi-barreled thing looks... Field ordnance battery. It's cool. awesome. Yeah, they got a lot of good stuff. If you're a guard player, then you are going to be happy, I'm sure if you're not already. It's just great great stuff going on. So that's really pre-orders. There wasn't a whole lot of other stuff. In terms of releases, well the GHB that we're going to talk about today and then Slaves to Darkness has hit the table. So that's all out. All out and very legal. Yes, all of it. <laughs> People can use that now wherever or whenever they want to. Yep. I picked up the multi-part
0: Warriors box yesterday. Right, the easy to build doesn't come with banners or horn blowers. So yes, yeah.
1: You know, if you're going to run a brick of twenty with Mark of Nurgle, you need a banner. Yeah, You've gotta um, have a banner. Yeah. So that's it for releases and stuffs. Games played other than Sigmar. Tyler, have you done any board gaming or any other kind of games at all that you've been playing?
2: I wish I could say I have, but no, that's no, fine. That's all one good. Thing I'd like to change is actually finally start getting some board games in this year.
1: Okay, I have. Discovered. I talked to briefly about it last time, this uh, game of the computer called Ultimate Admiral Age of Sail, and I've started the British campaign, and it is so much fun. Oh, my gosh. All the different aspects of it and stuff. You can upgrade. You know, that's part of it. When you buy a ship, for example, from the Admiralty, he has like a list of ships that you can purchase. And as you complete missions, obviously they pay you a certain amount of kind of prize money or whatever it is. There was this one upgrade that you could get where you could go from regular long guns to carronades and the advantage in history was that the carronades were much shorter range but they carried much heavier ammunition so Mm. typically a long gun might be a four to six pounder the smallest carronades were like 12 pounders they had some that were bigger so i had Mm. one ship that was just armed with carronades and i didn't know how it was going to work because the range was supposed to be pretty short i went i did one broadside on this guy and i saw the damage it was like wow that's significantly better Mm -hmm. i made a second pass Gave him another broadside. He was taking some hits on his hull and stuff. I maneuvered around. My third broadside. His ship just exploded.
3: No. Oh, wow. And I'm like,
1: whoa! These are really good. <laughs> it was totally unexpected because he still had quite a bit of sail and you know armor and stuff left, and just boom, this fiery mm. wreck in the water. And it's like, okay, this works. <laughs> so yeah, it's just really good. And there's this combination of land. Combat and sea combat.
2: Yeah, I'm seeing that here. I'm looking at some photos. The yeah gameplay. It's it
1: it's really fun, a fascinating game. So I'm really really enjoying that I'm up to I think I've got my seventh set of orders now that I'm working on very good stuff And then we have a board game thing going we've talked about it. Formula D Brendan and Dave Nordstrom and I the last three times we've sat down at quote hobby night We've played Formula D. We did our third different track. We went to New Jersey right on the Hudson River this week. And for the third week in a row, one of Dan's cars, his Formula One car, because we're in teams of two, exploded one more time or (laughs) fell apart. And now, if you think this is Dan is just a bad player, I'm going to give you some math hammer numbers here. the first one was bad. That was so unlucky, that first one. This is just horrible. I figured you roll, if your cars end up next to each other on the race course, you roll a 20-sided dice. And if you roll a one, you lose a body damage, you know collision kind of thing. We must have rolled the dice between the three of us at least 50 or 60 times in that Mm -hmm. two lap race. Only two times out of that 50 or 60 did a one come up. And you know who rolled a one both times? <laughs> and my card just fell apart. It was like, no, not again. It was crazy. But we're having a really good time mm-hmm. doing this. And it's fun trying the different tracks out. This one was deceptively slow. Yeah, There were a couple mm. of really long, especially a really long straightaway. And we're like, oh, yeah, we're going to hit this in like fourth gear and you use the go, blue it was marble. So fast and-, and there were just so many turns where you had to significantly slow down. Down, that you never were able to really get up to speed anywhere was kind of fascinating. But yeah, that's the uh, two things I've done other than Sigmar. So, Brendan, how about you? Well, obviously, we were playing Formula D. Yep. My race,
0: the Drivers' Championship, going very well. <laughs> I took second place this time. I'd like to make it known that everyone has copied the setup of my vehicle, obviously proving to be of very course. effective in the first two races. Of <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, just pointing that out there.
2: Netless copying is everywhere.
0: Yep. The three engine build yes very powerful so i've been playing fire emblem three houses recently i've gotten to what i think is the halfway point there's a big time skip in it i imagine that they're choosing for that to be the halfway point betrayal heartbreak uh all of the emotions been working on that betrayed by one of the characters i put a lot of time and energy into in terms of their development and the skill set that they have so hurt by this but yeah it's going well Enjoying
2: Fire that. Emblem is one of those games I regret not playing. I've never played it. My favorite game growing up, Sega Genesis. You guys may not have heard of this game. It's called Warsong in the United States. Oh. I think in Japan it was Langrisser here or something like that. It's a series, yeah, it's kind of a kin in some ways, I believe, to Fire Emblem. But anyway, okay. yeah, I enjoyed hearing Brendan talk about Fire Emblem last episode.
1: Oh, that's cool. Sigmar games for you two guys, then.
2: Let's see. I've been trying out my new Stormcast list. Let, am I going to give it away here? Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. It is Hammers of Sigmar, Karazai, oh. Lord Castellant with Arcane Tome, Slash of Blaze, Wound of Wounds, and Melee. Of course, he's there for the save stacks with Warding Lantern. Lord Relictor, as usual, High Priest. He's the general translocation for the reroll teleport. teleports on a two up. A little silly, as always. <laughs> and then the new ingredient, which I think is going to be very popular amongst Cast players this season, a Knight Azros. Dan, yeah. do you know what this thing does? No, you're going to tell
3: Azeros. me. It's so good. Okay.
2: It's amazing. Brendan knows. <clears throat> Usually, when the Knight Azros good, Age of Sigmar is in a good place. I'm hoping that's a sign. This guy rocks. He's a perfect galley champ. He moves 12 inches. Oh. He has. At the end of the charge phase, a Light of Sigmar that will give you Plus one hit in combat against an enemy unit for all of your Stormcast attacks against that unit. Obviously, he's really good for counting as 10 models on an objective if there's, you know, through Stubborn as a Rhinox. Right. He's a great piece if you want to lean into Quicksilver Drought artifact. So I was going back looking at the Battle Tome, looking for, you know, maybe hidden gems. Uh, that artifact was almost never taken, but you could put, say, a uh, Knight Azros or maybe a Lord Castellan in Galatian Command, the battalion that allows you to, if you're in combat with your galley champ and your swarm bodyguard yes. in that battalion, right? Yep. you can fight with both of them, one after another. But if you have Quicksilver Drought on your, let's say, Knight Azros, Quicksilver Drought allows the Azeros to fight first, oh. which then would trigger your swarm bodyguard fighting next immediately before your opponent fights. Wow. You know, pairing it maybe with, say, 10 Protectors. The list has 2x5 Libs, 5 Judicators with regular bows, just for some chip damage. They're in Sharpshooters. 10 Protectors, and 3 Praetors. 2 Bodyguard, in particular Karazai. It's been amazing so far. Really strong.
1: Good stuff. Brendan, have you...
0: So one of our locals, Austin, is headed to LVO. So he came over last weekend to get a bunch of reps in. Yep. So he played Dave in his Stormcast. Uh, Austin's playing some Nurgle. I asked him, you know, what do you want to see? You know, what do you want practice against? Because I'm not playing anything in particular right now. So he said, you know, that super busted Ogre Iron Blasters list, he said, you know, modify it to whatever the, the new points are. And so you can just take that list, pull an Iron Blaster out, and it's legal. Turns out, three Iron Blasters... Still pretty good. Okay. Four was dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I did that, and then I got a game in with Megas against him. Okay. uh, Because LVO is new point, old handbook. The halfway point that makes no one happy, I think. Mm. Yes. You know, unfortunate timing there for them, but you got to pick a lane, you got to make a decision. Yeah. It's what they did. Good. I always enjoy just kind of playing whatever and Mm -hmm. throwing some models out there and just figuring out how an army works in real time. Good stuff. So.
1: All right. Coolio. All right, gents. Events. I want to, to all listeners, Please, if you know anybody who would be interested in Youngbloods for AOS at Adepticon, please encourage them to go ahead and sign up. We've got more sign-ups than we had last year, which is good. good five. Yeah, and five. Yeah. We want to keep going and keep going. We'd like to get at least 10 this year. That's kind of the goal. So if you know people, kind of reach out to them, encourage them to take a look and sign up. I know Doug uh, at 2 Plus Tough is Uh, also helping run this event and I know he's got quite a bit larger audience and I know he's gonna kind of shout out for people to get signed up as well so I just wanted to throw that in there events spring Rubicon just popped up Brendan you and I signed up for that yesterday yep which is very cool end of April and it's going to be a two-day event Five games. It's so awesome, Tyler, because this is Mm. half an hour drive from my house and about 40 minutes or 45 minutes from Brendan's house. So it's so close. No overnight stays or anything. So that'll be really nice for a change. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's great. Now the Dias Cast
2: fellows are putting that on? Yep. Yep, Cool.
1: And I went to Winter Free Con, which is the historical gaming event, last weekend and had a blast. We had a young guy there. He, He and his dad played, I think, a market garden you know allied invasion of holland thing earlier in the day but he was there kind of you know just to learn wargaming and kind of get him into the hobby and the guy who was running it Ike, did great guy he threw this game down uh dresden was his name he and i were sitting there and it was a battle of the bulge game so i opened the box and he said hey give this a try i opened the box and i pulled out the rules and looking at the rules and i just saw dresden's face like drop it's just too much. You know, you can just <laughs> see it on his face, it's too much. He's might be 14 years old, you know, 14, 15 mm. years old. And it's like, I need to find a game that this guy's gonna enjoy before he leaves today, whatever it is. So there was a guy who had brought a 4X game called Eclipse and it was the newer version of this. I had played this years ago at RockCon. And so it's kind of a space exploration, expansion kind of a thing, build the economy. And by the end of the game, he was just having a great time. So mission accomplished with that. That was really fun. Other stuff? Uh, Tyler, what's the deal on uh, Mm. Vault Wars? Do we have any?
2: Oh, sure. We're working on dates. We are going to push it back to the fall, it looks like. Okay. Uh, That's tentative, but that's looking like what we're going to do. I've got an insane work schedule this year. Mm. Uh, We're organizing Guts and Glory GT. It's a quasi-teams events kind of hard to explain. It's especially for kind of first year we're focusing on Midwest clubs. Okay. Uh, we may be expanding it out. We'll see. But that's happening in March. So it's going to be a little... Challenging, doing two GTS back to back. If we were to, you know, host Vault Wars in the same day yes. Anyway, those are my excuses.
1: Okay. Uh, so, no. It's... Yeah,
2: we're gonna <laughs> push it back a little bit. I'll let you guys know as soon as we get it nailed down.
1: Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. Now that we're scheduled for the end of April for Rubicon, who's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, it's May already. Is that anything else, guys, that we know about? I think that's it. Oh, GW opens. Yeah, all over the place. Yeah. Yep. Those are out there if you're interested.
2: Yeah, Dan, um, maybe you can give me the info on Youngbloods. I'd love to mention it. Sure. Um, the show this week. Okay. Up. Oh, no, that's great.
1: Yeah. I'll uh, go ahead and send you something, probably old school email or something like that. Yeah. I'll send you the pack or whatever. And, you know, again, I wanted to thank, now that I have you there, thank you and Vince for having that discussion on the stuff. And, uh, oh, yeah. George's information, really, between the two of you, that you're showing, George, it just was so, so helpful for somebody who'd never written a pack before. And it was fun because I could yeah. just do all kinds of fun stuff
2: uh,
3: yeah.
1: and make it really interesting. So thank you guys for that. Input. That reminds
2: me real quick. So um, along these lines, the Weird Knobs Gaming Club, they're based out of Texas. Oh, they're pretty well known for their scoring sheet and reference sheet that they've been maintaining. They're both excellent. Okay. They recently put together a Sigmar 101 battle pack. Oh, which was built upon the work by George, conversations that Rob and the Honest Wargamers had, and then yeah, the show that we did as well. Okay. So you might. Check that out, Dan. You know, there's some differences from George's work in particular, but it's a really good effort. Okay.
1: Well, all input is welcome, so I'll definitely take a look at that next time. Great. Cool. But I'll be sure to send you some stuff. Gents, I think that's it then for Whispers, and we're going to move on to the main part of the show, Emperor Lies, and talk about GHB Part 2.
2: What are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, We're a time bomb.
1: All right, Emperor Elias, we are going to be talking about uh, GHB 2223 Part 2, and we will start with the Realm Rules after we talk about our initial opening thoughts. So Tyler, what are your first impressions?
2: i mean we had a pretty low bar with last season last season was rough in particular as everybody knows because of the bounty hunters battalion that gave plus mm. one the damage to, well, <laughs> to the things uh, that the handbook was supposed to be about <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> on that note this will be a better season i'm generally excited about this season i think the mix of elements is going to be pretty good you're going to have Obviously used for uh, what they're calling Galatian champions, heroes slash leaders. I can't recall if they're keyworded. I think it's keyworded. Yeah, it's it's heroes. Heroes, Heroes, yeah. With a room characteristic of less than 10 that do not have a mount and are not unique. You know, obviously they're going to have a role, but still hero monsters will have a role. We're going to see more bodies on the table. Elite infantry is still going to be good. Elite cavalry. So, yeah, I think it'll be a nice mix. I'm excited.
1: Brendan, what are you thinking? Similar
0: thoughts in that it's going to be better than last season. It'd be tough to be worse one of the single most unengaging sets of rule design that has ever been put on the table. You know, forced everyone to move completely away from either Galatian veterans or move to full mitigation factors. Mm. Please see, you know, Cruciators. <laughs> it sucked. It was bad. Mm-hmm. The thing in this that I'm not too big of a fan of is, and this will be a, a later discussion, is how heavily reliance four of the battle tactics are of the eight that you have on having at least two Galatian champions. Now, they're trying to incentivize you to bring it, which is good and helpful, but the reality is, is there's quite a fair few number of armies where bringing two or more is going to be an active hindrance to your army and or impossible. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that measures out, but you know, this
1: certainly looks to be the season of Stormcast
0: and Night Nighthaunt.
1: Yeah. My initial thought was, you know, as I'm excited to dive into my Sylvaneth army, it's like I'm looking over at my shelf with my Nighthaunt on it, and it's like that entire shelf is full of Galatian champions. Yeah. And it's like, oh my god, this could be really good. That being said, the thing that hit me the most was the battle tactics. And I'm really, really not liking the battle tactics overall in terms of the entire Age of Sigmar range. You mentioned it a little bit, Brendan, but I mean, there's one battle tactic in particular that I really don't like because it's incredibly situational based on battle plans. But there's also the issue of armies that don't function well with more than a couple of small heroes. They just don't. They're not built that way. That's not what's in their books. And you have other factions that, how many times have we done books like in Chaos where they have 20 or 25 or 30 freaking leaders? All
0: right, 75% of the War Scrolls done. (laughs) All hero section in the book. We're
1: going to go talk about the three War Scrolls that are units. Yeah, right. And then there's the opposite where you have a book where there's two units, they're small heroes, and the rest is all units. So I'm concerned about that, that it's going to force people who don't have a lot of ability to, you know, be as competitive or as successful mm. into a place they're really not comfortable with, and maybe that's the whole point, but you know, that's not what the game should be about, I guess, is my thought.
2: One thing that's coming to mind in this is the first principle discussion about is this even a good design philosophy in the first place, Mm. right? We're Mm -hmm. three quote-unquote seasons into this design philosophy. So we started Mm. out with monsters. We were supposed to be moving toward Galatian veterans, a.k.a. (laughs) hordes, and of course the exact opposite happened because of bounty hunters. (laughs) And now we're moving into small heroes under ten wounds. I think it's going to be... A little more on point this yep. season certainly than last season you know we're not going to see this oh oops we screwed it up but is this a good design philosophy for seasons mm. are we going to have an artillery season a chariot season <laughs> a priest right. season a cavalry season whatever right. right probably obvious i'm not particularly a fan of this design philosophy for a season but that's probably a longer conversation about generally it, I, th- I thought you know pre 3.0 ghb sort of design was a little bit better than what we're getting right now
1: okay
0: all right well hopefully we don't have an artillery season the number (laughs) of armies that have (laughs) artillery is 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 whimsically small (laughs) yes Uh, the the one zero to four restriction that i look at
1: and go who is filling this right (laughs) okay so that's the opening salvo here let's move on and talk about the realm rules let's jump into that gents tyler you want to start us out with the special rules here
2: yeah, sure. Galatian champions, heroes with a wound characteristic of less than 10 that do not have a mount and are not unique. And then we have the key to victory. Friendly Galatian champions cannot be picked as the target of attacks with missile weapons while they are within one inch of any friendly battle line units. So pretty significant.
0: Yeah, and that's all the time with missile weapons. As long as your Galatian champion is within an inch of that battle line unit, regardless of what phase it is, you cannot be the target of missile weapons as long as you meet this criteria. Right,
1: including the hero phase, which is, yeah, it's important. Yeah,
2: useful. Yeah. both <laughs> <next>. um, <laughs> There are some tricks you can look to do with this. One, for example, that folks have been talking about is particularly, let's say, if you have a 40 millimeter or bigger base with a glacier champion, you could, say, charge into a unit of 20 sentinels. And if you can have your battle line within one inch of where your Galatian champion finishes its charge move, then, mm. unli- sorry, you're not able to unleash L on that Galatian champion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's situational, but that's something you can potentially plan around to try to set that up to turn off Unleash L. There's some other things you can do with garrisoning. There's certain war scrolls like, let's say, Corvus Cabal. If they're, I believe, wholly within cover, they cannot be targeted. Correct. So, yeah, if you have them standing, you know, within an inch, of their battle line. So if they're within an inch of, say, a Chaos Sorcerer Lord, then both the Cabal and the Sorcerer Lord cannot be targeted by missile attacks. Mm. So yeah, some clever things you can do with it. And then the next one, Desperate Action. So this is our version this season of what was previously a Seismic Shift in the original 3.0 season, and then the last season, Proving Ground. This one, if you are taking the second turn in the current battle round, at the start of your hero phase, you can pick one friendly galley champ on the battlefield to carry out two heroic actions instead of one.
3: Mm.
2: What do you guys think about, and just to clarify, This is written where you're only getting this benefit in your part of the battle round, so at the bottom of the battle round in your turn. You're not getting two heroic actions in your opponent's part of the battle round. Correct.
0: I think of the three, it's the least impactful incentive to going second, right? The ability to set the proven grounds was significant. Yeah. The seismic shift or the tectonic interference or whatever the, the rule was where mm-hmm. in the third battle round you could make an objective disappear as long as it wasn't prime was pretty significant. Yep. This is impactful in that it's a nice incentive for going second. Setting up what you're trying to set up here, right, which is you know, when we talk about the heroic action, the strike at the opening lead by example wombo combo, your opponent can play around and play against so that it is not anything if you're trying to set that up what's nice there is that you can go extra command points and heal yourself to yep. the same or finest hour and heal yourself and that's pretty cool but it's limited to galatian champions as being the ones that can issue two mm-hmm. and it's not just any hero which is kind of a difficult restrictor sure makes sense
2: we're seeing some battle tomes right that are getting special heroic actions slice yep. darkness as the most obvious recent one where they have two that would be nice to oh. use both of them.
0: Yeah, yeah. sure
3: would be.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm forgetting the name of the first one. One is, I believe, draw on Power, which is the 3d6, mm. instead mm-hmm. of the 2d6 for casting rolls, in this case with your Galatian Champion. And then there's another one that normally, for your Eye of the Gods table roll with a hero, you're rolling two dice. Mm-hmm and then adding them together, but the other one um, is is allowing you to roll three dice. Yeah, three dice and pick. Yeah, using both of
0: those would be excellent, especially in a Kabbalist list where your (laughs) casting comes together for all of your heroes that are near that one that's doing the draw and power. Yeah, that would be pretty useful. You get your casting done cool, neat, then you also get to go out and go do your Eye of the Gods, but also you can use the draw and power to cast the spell where you get to roll on the Eye of the Gods immediately. And there's some foot heroes in Slaves of Darkness that we talked about. Oh, yeah. They're pretty beefy. Right, the bummer is, right, it's got to be Galatian champions that use it so you can't turbocharge your Cracker Jack (laughs) and send him in at, you know, rend 11 and just go, good luck.
1: (laughs) Okay, cool. Heroic actions, gents. Mm-hmm. What do we want to... we got the two, we yep. got strike at the opening and lead by example. Strike
0: at the opening is you pick one friendly Galatian champion within three inches of an enemy unit. That hero can fight if it's not already fought in that phase. That hero cannot fight again in that phase, and the strike last effect applies that hero until the end of the turn. When it comes around to the combat phase, this individual Galatian champion is at the strike last step. A mm-hmm. second one, lead by example, and you look at it and you go, wow, that seems really good, until you realize that the limitation on it is you pick Pick one friendly Galatian champion that is a sworn bodyguard unit, page 14. We'll talk about
1: that in a second.
0: That has just carried out the strike at the opening heroic action. Cool, so you need to be able to use two heroic actions to do this. Wonder where you're going to get that.
1: Huh, conveniently there uh, is such a thing.
0: If that sworn bodyguard unit is wholly within six inches of that Galatian champion, within three inches of an enemy unit that, ha- that the sworn bodyguard unit can fight, if it is not already fought in that phase, however, that unit cannot fight again in that phase, and the strike last effects applies until the end of the turn. The only way you can do this is if one Galatian Champion can issue two heroic actions. Mm-hmm. That's it. You're taking the Sworn Bodyguard, and we'll talk about that battalion in a little bit, more for what Tyler was talking about earlier, which is using them as another activation right in a row. Strike at the opening is neat. Again, it's got to be just a Galatian Champion... So, that's all your foot heroes without mounts, now companions are the loophole with that. But for the most part, those foot heroes aren't going to be cleaning out whatever they're stuck in with. Now, there's some foot heroes who can, but for the most part, when you think about what your foot heroes are, it's not that, especially without the unique battlefield role, right? Because we would love to have the Light of Eltharion be a Galatian Champion. Oh, sure. (laughs) You know, go in there, mess someone's day up, or like Sigvald or something, Mm -hmm. awesome, right? sorry can't do that can't
1: do that no tyler what are your thoughts on this
2: so as brennan is conveying it begs the question okay who are among the best galley champ candidates you know melee foot heroes that can do meaningful damage that you might want to consider for this and then for the relation command battalion with the swarm bodyguard it's a relatively short list just to name a few we've got the orc megaboss on foot There's the Ogre Tyrant, there's the Doom Bull, let's see what the Doom Bull looks like in the new upcoming Beast of Chaos book coming out mm-hmm. here shortly.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, there's some Nighthaunt heroes that can be punchy. Let's see, I'm trying to think of some other ones. I mean, Daughters of Cain, not too punchy. Vargolf Courtier's not bad. And Flesh Eater Courts, any coming in your guys' mind?
0: The Rune on foot's not bad. Or sorry, the Rune father on foot. The delivery okay, yeah. of that can be pretty difficult, though. Is there anything in Nurgle that you see?
2: Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Nurgle's a pretty good example, Dan. So they've got Lord of Plagues and Lord of Blights, personally. Mm-hmm. So Lord of Plagues is 140, Lord of Blights is 150. Lord of Blights is a uh, one-pit better on save, so it's got a three-plus base save instead of the four-plus. It's really nice. They both have seven wounds. They do slightly different things. With the power pairing, in terms of this context, you might want to go Lord of Plagues because it can get plus one attack to a unit of Blight Kings uh, holy oh. within twelve. So oh. imagine ten Blight Kings plus oh. a Lord of Plagues, right? <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: That's pretty good. Yeah. And the main thing that comes to my mind with this so i was talking with you before we started the show about how we're looking at playing on average a little bit less of the board space this year with these battle plans the aggregate number of objectives is a little less than Mm -hmm. last year so last year we had like silk still nest eight objectives close to the chest six objectives even like nidus paths which we do have in this mission but we had a number of missions like nidus paths One objective per quadrant. We really spread out a lot last year. That'll be less so, which then I think correlates with, okay, to me that means we're likely to see more brawling around primary objectives. I think we're going to have more bodies because Bounty Hunters is going away. That alone is going to lead to more bodies. So you add all that up and you think about Galatian commands, you know, Swarm Bodyguard with a Galatian champ being able to fight immediately. And then, of course, these double heroic actions. I think it's going to be more the exception than the rule, but I could certainly see games where, you know, army lists that can build into it, right? A Lord Castellan or Knight Azeroth and 10 Protectors. A pick your favorite Fire Slayers hero and 10 or 15 Hearthguard Berserkers. Sure. Lord of Plagues, 10 Vikings right? They're going to be having their ass hanging out on objective where you have to come into them and get them off that objective. We're playing on fewer objectives with some of these missions. You may not have the choice to just dance around them and ignore them. Sure. So, yeah, but even with all that said, I think it will be more the exception than the rule with something like this.
1: Okay. Brendan, this is just what we were talking about with warriors. You're mm-hmm. talking about giving them Nurgle, having a hero with them. Park an objective oh. and tell it good luck. And Tyler, that's what you were saying. You know, it's there's gonna be a lot of parking lots around these objectives. And yes. it's gonna be a lot of just headbanging. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's nice to have that kind of engagement rather than trying to fly around and avoid a conflict. This is a war game, so uh, right, yeah,
2: and yeah. certainly better than a game dominated by range damage. Probably all a- exactly.
1: Mines. We're going to be I don't incentivized. Play 40K. Yeah, 40k if you want range damage, right? So, those are the heroic actions. We got a spell and we have a command there going with this. Both of which you'll actually see used this year. Yay! So, the Realm Sphere Magic, all wizards uh, know the following it's Grindy Teeth of Gallot. Grindy Teeth of Gallot is a spell that has a casting value of 6 and a range of 12. If successfully cast, pick one objective within range, invisible to the caster, then roll a dice. For each unit within six inches of that objective on a four up, that unit suffers D6 mortal wounds. That's pretty decent. I mean, that's it it may be chip damage, but boy, it could make a difference if you take three or you know models off of a board. That could make a lot of difference, especially when we play around the edges a lot. When you look at it, a lot of people get those four or five models just close enough, you know, six inches or whatever. You can take those models off. I think it's valuable. Certainly, it's only got a casting value of six, so it's very doable. The range is tougher, but yes, it's an item where you're going to be cast
0: you know Tyler's talking about it being all scrunched up mm-hmm. you're going to be there and there is a mission where the objectives are table quarters <laughs> oops <laughs> where the grinding teeth of Galet are effectively a tactical nuke <laughs> over a large area of yeah, the board. Yeah, when you think
1: about that, within six inches of a quarter, yeah. It's yeah, going to be so a lot of units. Six inches within a quarter of the board is a lot of the board. Yeah. Just make sure your guys aren't in that quarter Yes. Yeah, well, there's that. There were acceptable losses. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's the spell. And then we have a realm command. It's no retreat, no surrender. You can use this command ability at the start of the combat phase. The unit that receives the command must be a friendly unit that is not a hero or a monster, that did not charge, and that is within three inches of an enemy unit unit so that's quite a bit of conditions but still that unit cannot make pile-in moves in that phase but adds mm-hmm. one to the attack characteristics of melee weapons used by that unit until the end of that phase i can certainly think of several excluding, units excluding, mm-hmm. them out, which right. is... excluding them out right excluding them mm-hmm. out i can certainly think Chosen. of <laughs> um,
3: sorry um, <laughs> yeah
1: a lot of units that could use something like that so it's useful unlike the last season where yes. i don't know if either of you can remember
2: the what, realm what the was. realm command was <laughs> It wasn't used. Uh, vaguely. Yeah. I, know, I can certainly remember never using it once.
1: So that one certainly seems worthwhile. Especially right. since you've got units you're already adding one to, so now you're adding two to the characteristic. And it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal to do so. Yeah, unless you have something that keeps somebody from issuing commands. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, there is that out there too. Yeah. So anyway. Um. <laughs> so let's move on to core battalions, and we have three of those, gents. You want to start us off? Your choice, Tyler.
2: Sure. Let's go Galatian Command. It requires one Galatian champion and one infantry. That is, a unit with a wounds characteristic of four or less that is not a leader, artillery, or behemoth, and is not mounted. Mm -hmm. So that's all you get. You get one galley champ and one infantry. Mm -hmm. And then the rule is united in purpose. The infantry unit in this battalion is a sworn bodyguard unit of the galley champ. In the combat phase, when you fight with a galley champ for the first time, If the Swarm Bodyguard unit is wholly within six inches of that galley champ, they fight one after the other in the order of your choice. So that's pretty tight, wholly Mm -hmm. within six inches. I mean, I'm skeptical that this is going to see a lot of play. Again, I think this strikes me as more of a corner case play for factions lists that can lean into it, particularly factions lists that do not care about high drops. My Swarmcast list, right, I need to go Warlord to get two holy commands, call for aid and unleash thy hatred, unleash thy hatred is incredible on Tim protectors, I've got a Castellan and Tim protectors, which are really nice options for galley command, and I'm already going to be high drop anyway, so why not? But if I were like a one drop and had to have the choice of, am I going to go Galatian command to put me up to three drop, I'm not sure I'm going to make that choice. Maybe. That does help because of the next one here, Sharpshooters, is a minimum of four drops with Battle Reg. But yeah, before we go to Sharpshooters, you guys have any thoughts on Gallic Command?
0: I really like it aesthetically, right? What it means, right? You've got a hero, you've got their bodyguard effectively with them. I think there are some interesting combinations of heroes and units you'd want to pair together to do this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, chances are you're not going to be combining this with the Battle Regiment to get it at, to be a three drop. Mm. You know, to your point, this is a battalion that you're largely going to be taking if you're planning on being a 7, 8, 9, 10, you know, right? You're going to be putting a lot of models on the board. You're going to be taking, you know, Warlord Battalions. You're going to be taking Galatian Veteran Battalions. You're going to be doing whatever. Sharpshooters. Exactly. You've committed to, you know, whatever you're doing down the line as that level of effectiveness. So I don't want to say it's going to be an edge case, but you're already going to be in kind of a prescribed building mode, I think Mm -hmm. is the best way of putting it.
1: Let's move on to Galatian Sharpshooters then.
2: So this one, I love the requirements for this one in the sense of you have to have three infantry. Which means for, let's say, your potential Alpha shooting armies, which we've had in the game and have been quite strong on average. If they want to take this, they're going to have to go up to a minimum of four drops, Battle Regiment and this. That's very nice design. So focus on your mark. Units in this battalion ignore the key to victory rule, that is the rule that turns off targeting Galatian champs. So essentially, you could just go back to normal. You are now allowed to target galley champs in the way that we're accustomed to in the game with missile weapons. Now, one thing about this is it does not have to be an infantry with a missile profile. Of course, to take advantage of the rule, you're gonna have to have a missile profile, but you'll often see Oh, let's say 2x10 witch elves and 15 uh, bloodstalkers, bow snakes, in Galatian sharpshooters, or 2x5 libs and 6 long strikes, right? Mm. Something along those lines to fill out the Galatian sharpshooters battalion. Okay, because
1: it is 3 mandatory, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. What are your gents' thoughts on this one?
1: I don't think it
0: has the same game wrecking power as bounty hunters, right? Being a 4 drop with bounty hunters versus being a 4 drop with Galatian sharpshooters is a very different animal. Right. being a four drop with galatian sharpshooters means you're bypassing the targeting of those small heroes and that's it bounty hunters was on average a 100 percent increase mm. in damage Nuts. to the full combat profile mount rider you know every other combat line that they had on their profile <laughs> right. against the kind of unit that you were trying to be incentivized to taking this is really just unlocking
1: a rule that you would have normally otherwise hmm. I like the fact that there's, even though it can target Galatian champions, I think that its effect is minimized by the fact that people are going to be taking more small heroes. So now your target priority for the, if you take all three of those units, is going to be a little tougher. And that's what you want. You want your opponent to have to make choices and decisions in terms of which heroes they're going to target. And I think that's a nice, as you said, the design factor that, even with three units that can do that. You know, if it's just a unit of three long strikes or whatever it is, it's still gonna be tough if they have an appropriate save to take out, say, a six or seven wound hero with that one unit. Even if you can target it, I like it. I like the fact that it is three units. I like the fact that it does balance out the alpha strike component of the game. Mm -hmm. All those things are really interesting. I think it's a really good choice for a battalion. Yeah. yeah, a few
2: more thoughts. So, for example, Lumineth. Mm. Lumineth has been the number one on the board. <laughs> Alpha shooting army in the game with their Teclas plus Sentinels. Uh, one drop build. Are they going to move away from that? Mm. And I highly doubt it. You know, they have enough area of effect damage that they can do, particularly the combo of Teclas's Searing Light spell through the spell portal, of course, combined with Uh, Rather silly, in my mind, uh, even though it's more expensive now. Rune of Petrifaction, even potentially now the Realm Spell, for good measure. And then all the Sentinels, right? Doing what they do. So I don't think they're going to move to this. Would Daughters of Cain, which had been one or two drop at most... With Marathi and the 15 bow snakes. Maybe that one's a little more interesting, but they also really love the one drop because that's an army of hammers and screens, right? They're very mm-hmm. fragile.
3: Sure.
2: And you want to give away that turn one to turn off your opponent's ability to double turn you immediately and to burn through your layers of screens. So, anyway, long story short, yeah, I think this is going to be perfectly fine. There are going to be a lot of armies that could leverage it with some shooting that are not going to because the one drop is too important. Some armies were already high drop that did some shooting, like, uh, I'd say Seraphon and Stormcast are the two obvious ones. Ideneth I don't have as clear of a sense of with, like, Reavers. They're probably okay if they go higher drop, but, yeah, I think it'll be fine.
0: And the last one, Galatian veterans. I'm really glad that this battalion is in here because I was worried we were throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Oh, no. From the last handbook, right, one of the truly good things of that last handbook was the bonds of battle, also known as the bonds of friendship rule, or the power of friendship, as (laughs) I like to call it, where your larger bases with the one-inch reach were able to scrunch together and fight in multiple ranks effectively. So Galatian veterans is two mandatory infantry and then two additional optional infantry. And the rule remains the same, if you are within a half-inch of an enemy model... All of your friendly you know, models in that unit that are within one half inch of that attacking model also can make their attacks as well. Yeah. Really glad that that's here. I don't think that it's a big deal that it's only up to four units, right? Because you cannot duplicate any of the battalions that are here right. in the handbook. I don't think you're going to find an extreme need for five or six or seven Galatian veterans. Right. Chances are the most you're realistically going to need are four.
1: Yeah, and that's what we have. Yeah, so,
0: so things like Nighthaunt aren't left flapping out in the wind in terms of their combat effectiveness. Otherwise, you were going to see a hundred chainrass. Yeah, exactly. Like, you were going to drown in 10-man units of Chainrass. Now, Dan would be very excited yes, about that prospect that. <laughs> that he would be able to field multiple of his krogas Gas Cruciators, have their ability stack, have it overlap, and then watch your opponent weep as they deal with these 18 different units charging into them and retreating, and then charging into them and retreating. Mm. Yeah. And suddenly you've got Rend Chain Chainrass, and you just go, why? <laughs> what, what have I done?
2: Brenda, would you prefer this to be as it is here, or as just a general rule in the game?
0: I think it's ultimately best served as a core rule. I found in the first section of the handbook, right, you know, season one, or part one of this season, that it's something that just felt natural and made sense it saved a lot of time in terms of trying to figure out who was where and and that kind of thing and it lended itself well to me not having to explain the complex geometries of the movement trays that i've had printed where it permits me through the rules of trigonometry to have (laughs) all of my models eligible to fight yours because i've done this right you just scrunch everyone together you know, you're within a half inch of this guy, he's within a half inch of this model, all of them are going to get to fight, and this is the number of attacks.
1: I like it because it, again, allows people to use units they normally wouldn't be able to use at a higher efficiency. You mm-hmm. know, I'm just thinking of a unit of Ten Blade guys, for example. I think this also affects a wide range of armies in Sigmar. And so taking that away really limits... The options that people have in terms of playing their armies, and I don't like that.
0: By doing this, it forces you to make a choice. Yes, right. You know, if it becomes an inherent rule, right? Yes, built into the. And I'm supportive of making it a core rule for sure. If it was built into the core rules, it increases your opportunity to be a one drop and include that efficiency by going this direction. If you want to obtain that efficiency because right now in the core rules that you don't have that efficiency if you wish to go out and gain that efficiency it is going to cost you at minimum there's two, a cost yeah it's yeah. going to cost you at minimum yeah. two drops and maybe that's where the decision making process you know went together of you know, chaos warriors with the power of friendship wow that'd be Oof. pretty good because then maybe in lists like that you're leaning towards a one drop you're leaning towards getting your five effective units you've got your three couple heroes because you can very easily get to a one drop with your know, slaves of darkness and have that output and be able to fight in two ranks with this you know really sticky block of warriors sure Okay, or it pushes you towards that 9, 10, 11 drop build and sure. it changes the complexity of what it is that you're trying to do. I don't think it's bad if they went either direction, but doing this, it causes you to pick, to make a choice, to right. understand
1: what's going on. Okay. So, Chance, let's talk about the artifacts next. There's three. So yep. Everyone picks one, right? Yeah, Coolio. Tyler, what's your choice of these three?
2: I actually really like Tuscalo. So when charging, roll dice equal to a unmodified charge. Each 4 plus is a mortal wound. And that is not cumulative with other charge abilities for the bearer. I was so, so upset you...
0: about that. I was so disappointed. <laughs> uh, I was thinking of the tyrant, you know, standing next to Kragnos, double 3d6 mortal wound damage. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Undetected, as somebody would say. Yeah. yeah. No, I like this. Obviously, yeah, you could do combo damage plays. One I like is a Storm Strike Chariot. Wheeling in whatever the chart, let's say it gets an 8 on the charge roll. 8 dice, 4 plus mortal wounds. And then you have Tuskhelm going in. Again, let's stick with the theme of Knight Azeros. I think that could be a really nice power pair, mm. double up on the impact hits. Of course, with this, uh, he does, you know, Brendan just mentioned Kragnos. You're looking for where the hell can I get my 3D6 charge? A nice one that Justin from the Cast mentioned to me yesterday. We were catching up on the phone. He said Tunnel Master, which we'll get into in a minute, plus Tuskhelm on a Warch tenor with get em beat.
3: <laughs> oh, God. I, I
2: thought that's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what Total Master does here in a minute. So yeah, I dig that one. I think it's nice.
1: Brendan? All of them are
0: good.
2: Yes, which is nice.
0: As an artifact, Night Flyer Cloak I think is interesting. During deployment, instead of setting up the bearer on the battlefield, you can place them to one side and say they're set up in ambush as a reserve unit. At the end of your movement phase, you can set up the bearer on the battlefield within one inch a friendly battle line unit more than nine inches from all enemy units yeah that's pretty all right the opportunity to get maybe one of your slower characters upfield right you know talking about mm-hmm. the delivery system of something like the rune father now granted it means you have an extra artifact to spend but as a means of getting things upfield earlier and more easily is
1: useful yeah for sure and i get stuck with the other one. Oh, thanks guys <laughs> oh that's and, great and merely <laughs> yeah merely a five up ward is what the griff feather charm does so not bad at all. For something that has, say, a base 3-up say, but no mortal wound protection, that's pretty good. Yeah. So these are all quality, no doubt about it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah,
2: I bet that one will be the least taken mm-hmm. uh, compared to these others, but yep. yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, you no. get a eight, nine wounds hero, maybe with another layer of protection. Either sure. it's a really good save, as you just mentioned, or it's a bodyguard or something, but yep. yeah, you could have somebody that's quite difficult to bring down.
1: Unique enhancements. This Of course, all these things are just Galatian champs. You wanted to talk about Tunnel Master here. Tyler. Yeah,
2: man. I think this one or another one will be the most popular. So Tunnel Master, once per game. Instead of making a normal move, in the movement phase, I'm trying to remember if it is tethered to the movement phase, you get to teleport. So of course, just outside of 9 inches of any enemy units, while I'm talking here, I'll look it up. It's, it's instead of a normal move. A normal move, but it's not tethered to the movement. No, no, which is
0: the interesting bit that people are trying to talk about specifically with Iron Jaws and the Mighty Destroyers move, mm. where you would potentially be able to Mighty Destroyers tunnel master your way up over somewhere else, then mm. make a movement later, then. So as worded, that's how that
2: works. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
0: And there would be precedent for that, as much as I don't like it.
2: I'll take it forward. Yeah, I hadn't looked at that. I know that a number of the spells that allow you to teleport have language that would not allow for Tunnel Master to be paired. Mm-hmm. But maybe Mighty Destroyers has language that is a loophole.
0: Right, because Mighty Destroyers is a hero phase. Normally, it's a just a normal move, and then you would get to normal move again. Right, the, it's the twenty-eight inches, or a right. you know, fast one, which becomes that thirty gazillion inch. Maw So that very specific pairing is the issue because the normal assumption here is the once per battle instead of making a normal move, it would occur in the movement phase. So there Mm. wouldn't be another movement to be taking because you are taking your instance of a normal move.
1: Because this is in lieu of, this is substituting.
0: Right, so if you have something else that gives you a normal move, out of sequence there there's no language
1: here preventing you
0: from doing that later this plus that
2: we're gonna see this a lot there's gonna be a number of combos that people lean into at least early on with tunnel master trying them out a few gross ones that i've heard about one of our local zinch players told me about this one imagine you're going against let's uh, let's just lean into it let's say 30 pinks 30 pink whores (laughs) and they're in host duplicitous where you're not able to retreat they put Tunnel Master on a Gaunt Summoner. Gaunt Summoner mm. of course has the Solar silver tower, tower ability. And you know what I'm getting at here? I don't know. Maybe mm. it's can't remember if it has to be two units in the tower? Is there a minimum of two? It's up to up two to, units. to two. Up to two. So, okay. so
0: this is actually a delivery system we talked about with the one on the disc of being able to do that. This is basically an even greater first strike element that you'd be able to do with that. Spending the Destiny dice, getting yep. them in, and then telling your opponent. Have a lovely day. I'll come talk <laughs> to you later.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: it's about as strong as the uh, alpha pinning, alpha blocking plays gets in the game. You go one drop, you know, that way, and hopefully a lot of your games, you're going to be able to dictate the choice to go first. So you can turn on the alpha pin if you really want it. And yeah, Tunnel Master, God Summoner, as Brendan just said, Destiny dice, and put 20, 30 pink horse in their face that you cannot retreat from.
0: And then slayers so behind them
2: yeah, Oosh, yeah. <laughs> so that's fun you can do things with zinch slaves the darkness wizards that are cool so of mm-hmm. course they have the warp reality spell that allows you to teleport telemaster gives you an, another teleport you could do some interesting combos there i think i've heard some people playing around with that yeah there's gonna be a number of plays i think with tunnel Master.
1: Dan, what would be your pick I like the Rhinox thing. I, I think it's great. Stubborn is a Rhinox. So this Galatian champion counts as 10 models for the purpose of contesting objectives while there are no enemy Galatian champions contesting the same objective. I think that's just great, especially for small heroes. That's such a sea change in terms of value of objective holding. Mm. It, boy, and if, obviously if you combine that with a bodyguard unit or another unit, you know, you're adding 10 models. That's significant in terms mm-hmm. of the math and holding objectives and stuff. And, you know, let's talk about, you know, these units that are just going to... You, know, you talked about Nurgle, we talked about Warriors and Slaves, the Darkness. You're going to have a unit that's not going to move anyway, and it's probably going to have at least 20 models in it. Now yeah. you add another 10 models with one. Yeah, going from 2 <laughs> to 10 as a Galatian champion is what you count at Is is you, You're going from 22 to 30, for example. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. ginormous.
2: You may have said it. Did you say, Dan, the thing that can turn it off? How if there is a, a enemy glitching right, on the right, objective? Exactly.
1: Yeah. If it's on the objective, yes. So. so
2: yeah, which I like. Yeah, there's some kind of play with it, but yeah, I've ran this a lot on the night Azros, and mm. it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, he's stolen me a number of objectives. Yeah. So it's great on. Yeah, it's just awesome. I'll bet.
0: I like the last two, but being forced to pick, I really like leadership of the alpha, if mm. for no reason other than what an unusual bit of technical opportunity it provides. Once per battle, this Galatian champion can issue one of the following commands up to three times in the same phase, rally, all-out attack, all-out defense, redeploy. If it does so, no command point is spent on the second and third instances that the Galatian champion issues that command this phase. So in Big Wa, triple rally with our boys that are rallying on four-up. Huge. Triple odd attack, always good. Triple all-out defense, always good. Triple redeploy to watch someone pull their hair out. <laughs> that is certainly an interesting one. Especially if this champion is your general or has the ability to be a totem. That's huge. Yes. It's very interesting understanding that it's once per battle. It doesn't have the same level of impact as something that Stubborn as a Rhinox has, which is just kind of largely a permanent status effect, obviously with the components of it being turned off. But having that threat in your pocket of going, I'm going to spend three all-out attacks over here and one all-out defense over here for two command points is pretty good and Mm -hmm. you know if you're feeling real squirrely you'll spend the third command point for you know no surrender no retreats for a plus one attack
1: over here and you've provided your opponent with no good opportunities what struck me about that was the the three rallies with a lot of units now in the game Rallying on five ups. And as you mentioned, there are cases where you can rally on a four up, but even if it's just a five up.
0: Obviously, you can't pick the same unit multiple times. Right,
1: right. But depending on your placement and where you are, it can be very, very useful to bring something back and just make your opponent pull their hair out looking at something.
0: <laughs> ard boys, ard boys, ard boys. <laughs> yeah, all day long. I hope everyone is ready to see ard boys again. <laughs> I think there is value and incentive in potentially taking multiple unique enhancements. Obviously, you can only have each of them once. You know, when you're taking the extra enhancement, going for an additional aspect of the champion I don't think is a bad mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, definitely. This is maybe my favorite part of the entire book. Uh, Just, I, I think yeah. they nailed this design. Like, It's really mm. strong, really good.
1: What do you War guys really think good. about the fourth one, the Gurish Rage?
2: I like it. Yeah, Tell them yeah, what do you it's think. It's solid. About? It'll probably be the least played. Mm-hmm. But I have been pleasantly surprised by seeing a number of people play it so far. I uh, like it on
0: War Songs. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, if you've got other ways to heal... Yeah, on top
1: of the D three. So yeah. Here's to
3: five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me.
0: So strategies and battle tactics. Which everyone buckle in, because there's going to be a long conversation here about there could be <laughs> about, some hot take. about not the words in this
1: book. <laughs> Tyler, once you start us out. With uh, grand strats,
2: you want me to go through all of them, or one no, at just a time? one
1: at a time? We can kind of rotate, sure. you know, go through uh, the cool. list. Good.
2: Okay, so we've got one, two, three, four, five, six. Yep. Tame Perfect. the land, control all objectives outside your territory. This will very, very rarely be taken. Yep, it's too hard. It, we ha- I believe we had this one last year, last season, and it was rarely taken.
1: Brennan,
0: defend what's ours. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are no enemy units wholly within your territory. Ugh. Zero. (laughs) That's that's not even fully within your control against many armies, especially if you're
2: taking something like Tunnel Master. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: That was uh, another one from last season that was rarely taken, for good reason.
1: Take what's theirs. You complete this Grand Strat if there are more friendly than enemy units wholly within enemy territory. I think that's very doable. This is one I would take with my Sylvaneth. Based on the fact that they can move the way they can move, their flexibility and, you know, the tree revs, yeah, I'm just going to drop two more units <laughs> in the back if they're still there. And okay, it's three to two now and I get my grand strat. I think that's one you're going to see more often.
2: Yeah, this one was the overwhelming favorite from last season and not much has changed. Yep. I mean, I'm a little surprised yeah. they kept it. I can't recall what, where we ended up with the statistics, certainly felt like one out of every two lists had Take What's Theirs. I mean, it was the strong favorite last season. Literally, I know at Nashcon, it was half of the field had Take What's Theirs, or maybe even more than half of the field.
1: So what do you think about Stake Acclaim, Tyler?
2: Stake Acclaim, have three Galley Champ models wholly in your opponent's territory. So the next two are also Galley Champ oriented, Mm -hmm. and certainly one of them, if not both, are more compelling in my mind that have three wholly in your opponent's territory. That strikes me as probably quite difficult for most armies. You know, you're going to have to have three remaining alive at <laughs> the end of the game, and <laughs> you're liable to potentially run into a shooting army that can point, click, delete, you know, some number of galley champs. Mm. So, yeah, in terms of a general purpose list, that seems like probably a bad idea. Unless maybe your night haunt with X number, you know, four more galley champ heroes surrounded by nine spirit Host that you're bringing back, everybody's favorite combination, yeah. then yeah, maybe that you, you've got enough confidence in Nighthaunt being an extraordinary army this season that you can lean into that. But yeah, most armies, no.
0: I think the only way you're really even going after this is if you're one of these chaos summoning armies where you're able to place galley champs onto the battlefield oh, yeah. later. Even that Nighthaunt example, you have to get them across the field right. and wholly into enemy territory. And that is, in many cases, opposed directly to what it takes to win that game. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. That's a good idea, though. Yeah, and that is another example of Telemaster you know, where you could have your Chaos Galley Champ, Tunnel Master, that teleports, and then you summon off of that Galley Champ. That could be cool.
1: Sure.
0: Survivor's Instinct. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy. If the model picked you, be your general, is a Galatian champion, and that model is contesting an objective wholly outside your territory. That's doable. Sure. Again. If someone took sharpshooters and has, I don't know, six long strike raptors, one of my first priorities, you know, within that game would be to remove your ability to score your grand strategy. Sure.
2: This is another one, Dan, where Tunnelmaster, we're going to mention it a lot. I mean, <laughs> a general theme of this season, certainly early on, looking at the Battle the General's Handbook, is the value of teleporting Galatian champions. Mm-hmm. And Tunnelmaster is one of the primary ways that you're going to have access to that. You've got Knife Flyer Cloak, but it has another condition. And generally speaking, you've got better artifacts, you know, starting with Arcane Tome, usually, to fill up your base <laughs> yeah, right. or artifact. But Survivor's Instinct, what I was getting at, yeah, Tunnel Master, you know, you put your galley champ way in the backfield, just hanging out behind a line of sight blocking terrain feature, you know, trying to keep him out of line of sight of all angles. And maybe, yeah, a lot of games, you can just keep him alive to then hop over with Tunnel Master to get you this Grand Strat at the end of the game?
3: Sure.
1: The last one is Day is Ours. You complete this if there are more friendly Galatian champions from your starting army than champions from your opponent's starting army on the battlefield. This one feels good. uh, Yeah. Again, it just depends on if you're an army that can take enough. I think there's a critical mass. I don't know what that number is. I'm sure statistically we could determine it, but Mm -hmm. there's got to be a critical number of champs that, you take to be able to achieve some of these you know whatever that is mm, four or five yours,
0: whatever it them. is i mean you could play mega gargants and win it automatically as long as you can keep one of them away from yeah. dying
2: yeah i could see some shooting armies that want to run a decent number of galley champs taking this where they kill the opponent's galley champs and keep theirs alive yep so maybe i don't know techless builds will have no more than two galatian champions like a enlightener and a Kathalar. But yeah, I, I could see this getting played a little bit. Feels okay. like we've got three playable and three not so playable.
1: So let's move over to tactics. So four of these are the same, and and essentially, yeah. yeah. The first four are from the old one, yeah. But then there are the other four. <laughs> and so, Brendan, why don't you pick one for us out of this?
0: A matter of honor, pick one enemy Galatian champion or sworn bodyguard unit on the battlefield. You complete this battle tactic if that unit is destroyed this turn by an attack made by a friendly Galatian champion or sworn bodyguard unit. So obviously the only way to unlock sworn bodyguard is by taking that particular battalion, and your best opportunity for removing units is typically going to be that sworn bodyguard unit their opportunity for damage output is significantly higher than most of your galatian champions so not impossible by any mm. stretch of the imagination but a fair bit of work usually has to be done first before you're going to throw in your five attack three <laughs> by threes run one damage to a hero right. which seem to be pretty you know lock stock and standard you know hero profiles nowadays like you know
2: okay. yeah this one is challenging It is a decent argument for, if you're worried about your capacity to complete 5 out of 5 battle tactics consistently with your list, and if you have a decent option for Galatian Command Battalion, right, then this could be one... You know, that gets interesting. This could be a decent reason to run Galatian Command Battalion. I have had it come up in one game with 10 protectors where they're very slow, move four inches. So it's hard for them to like apply pressure where they want to. They tend to just hang out where they are or try to get a nine plus charge. But it came up where they had an opportunity to kill a Galatian champion and they did not have to move, right? I, I think I was like mm-hmm. six inches away. It's like, all right, cool. Matter of honor, six up with a reroll, charge job done. Okay. But yeah, it'll be situational. It's just one that could potentially give you another option if you have, you know, the conditions to lean into it.
1: The next one is lead the assault. And this one, is you complete this battle tactic, at least two of the objectives you control are in enemy territory, very contested by a friendly Galatian champion. I just don't like this one at all. The, the fact that probably half or more of the battle plans don't have two or more and it's two or more objectives that are in anime territory because there are a lot that have one, but there's some that are in the center. And when you look at that and you think about it, like, well, wait a minute. I can't even, achieve, I, nobody can achieve mm-hmm. this because there are not two objectives in anime territory. And it's not all of them, but it's several of them. That makes it more difficult. Obviously, if they're on the border, we're going to count them as in. It's, four, it's a four fair of number. of 12
0: missions, yep. this
1: is a battle tactic you can score. Yep. Okay, for the 12, that's...
2: So, Dan, are you saying that you think that every battle tactic has to be achievable no. in every battle plan? I, th- I think, think it, inherent
1: to the battle plan they should be. Yeah, I think that you shouldn't write a battle tactic that if you pull up whatever battle plan it is, mm. it should be achievable. And it shouldn't be battle plan dependent, is what I'm saying, Tyler. I think it can be army dependent.
3: Yeah, army right? dependent so,
0: is
1: different. So, mm-hmm.
0: like, you know, if it's kill an enemy Galatian champion and your opponent doesn't have any, that's a list building decision that your opponent right. made. Right. You know, understanding, you know, the choices that they were making, right? Because there's going to be a trade-off, right? It, it's choices that people made in the last handbook in having Galatian
1: veterans or not having Galatian veterans. Right. It cost you effectively two battle tactics. Mm-hmm. Mm. And just as an example, what if you go to a tournament, five games, and the tournament organizer picks two battle plans that only have one objective in your enemy's territory? Two out of the five games, this one will not be achievable just by the fact that the TO picked a specific battle plan. This doesn't seem right yeah, in no, terms of game design. Yeah, but again, you know, we'll see how it all works out and who gets it and who doesn't.
2: Yeah, backing up, I don't know, some of these things, I think it's useful to kind of again talk from first principles like sure my bias is to think that battle tactics have been too easy to achieve Mm -hmm. over the past two seasons and i want to see battle tactics get harder especially for regular tournament goers i mean there's the broad player base and then there's the fanatics and the differences that can come up and thankfully on the whole these are more challenging than where we have been the prior two seasons. Mm -hmm. But of course, we'll get into the conversation about book battle tactics and how I think that that will then just simply mess up the challenge uh, that has increased with these. And I
1: think for this one, it's a matter of degrees. You know, it's one thing to make them harder. I have no problem with that. Mm. They're more challenging. It's one thing to make them impossible in certain circumstances. I pull up a battle plan and I know that this one is not possible for either army to achieve. That's different. I think it'd
0: be a different conversation too if this was, we were talking about one out of 12 battle plans
1: where you couldn't do this. Literally two
0: thirds of the missions Sure. So it is not inconceivable for a tournament organizer to pick five missions where this is impossible. Where now you're playing with a, you know, assuming you're not going to have book tactics, you're now playing with a set of cards for seven, Mm-hmm. Which I could see someone doing, you know, to say that you have to do five and I'm cutting the list down on you. It, you know, it's going to be even more difficult. Your options are going to be even more
2: restricted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just look, Brendan, and one of those four battle plans, you're probably not going to see in the vast majority of GTs right. because it's the, it's the ran, uh, twists and turns, the random generator one. Mm-hmm. Sure. So now you're down Understood. to
1: three battle plans. <laughs> Understood. Understood. I wanted to bring that point up because that one just hit me as I'm reading through them. It just popped out right away. Yeah, is, yeah. is different. So, yeah, it opposed
0: yeah. decision-making is very different than decision-making around a
2: fixed object.
1: Yes, very different. Ryan. So let's move on to United Offense. What do you think about this one, Tyler?
2: Pick one objective controlled by your opponent. You complete this battle tactic if you control that objective. And two or more friendly galley champs are contesting that objective at the end of this turn. I like it because it's hard like yeah. all us equal, it's yeah. more challenging, certainly than your average battle tactic over the seasons. I've not been able to get this one very often in the dozen or so games yet, which again, I'm really happy with. <laughs> it can just be challenging to set up having two or more galley champs contesting an objective that your opponent was controlling.
0: And this is the exact opposite of right what we were just talking about with Lead the Assault, which is if you choose to not include two Galatian champions in your list, right. that is your decision. You are actively foregoing this in the same way that you would be foregoing, you know, lead the assault. But in this instance, you are not restricted by the mission. Right. right. You know, if yep. you want to say, just like last time, I don't want to take Galatian veterans, you cut your list down from eight to six. If you choose not to take two Galatian champions, you're cutting your
1: opportunities down from eight to six as well. And you do this with foreknowledge, too. Mm-hmm. You know what your list is. You know what the battle tactics are, so you can build or not build around that, to your point. But if you're and, taking right. two Galatian champions, yep. you, you should
0: know that you have at your disposal eight of eight. Right. That's a decision that you should, right. within reason, be able to expect. Sure. But obviously with the missions that they are, if you take two, you're guaranteeing that you have access to 7 of 8, and there's effectively, you know, over the course of all of it, a pretty good chance that 8 of 8 is not going to be available to Right. You. Cunning maneuver. What about that one? Pick one friendly Galatian champion on the battlefield that is more than 3 inches from all enemy units. Cool. You complete that battle tactic if at the end of that turn that Galatian champion is more than 3 inches from all enemy units, and it's contesting objective you control is wholly outside your territory. Tunnel master, tunnel master, tunnel master,
3: tunnel master, <laughs> tunnel master. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: This is the new Against the Odds. This will be a common round one choice, or one that you may try to sit on when you need to get out of jail free card.
0: The trick right is that you have to be outside of three, which is a good way for your opponent to counterplay it. Where, because Tunnel Master is a normal move, if you're making a retreat move, it is not an instance of a normal move.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: The fact that you have to be outside of three, so you can't charge in and just hang on the objective. Like a Rhinox, right, where you're counting as ten and there were just a couple of models standing there. Mm -hmm. you got to be outside of three. You have to be contesting it, and you control, and outside your territory. There are some good conditions here that Mm -hmm. make it, to Tyler's desire, difficult, you know, to everyone's desire, not impossible. Right. And it's something that you can play to and design
1: around. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think, Tyler, on this? What's your...
2: Uh, cutting Maneuver, yeah, I mean, I like it. It is gonna be one of the easier ones. Overall, with these battle tactics, mm. so the first thought that I had in reading these, we didn't mention, what well, we said we had four original ones. Gaining Momentum, i for and I, Desecrate their land, this one's mine. Three of those, Gaining Momentum, i for and I, Desecrate their lands, I think will be pretty common, especially I4 and I, Desecrate their mm-hmm. lands. Gaining yeah. Momentum can be a little trickier, but often you can set up to achieve that one. certainly one that about every army mm-hmm. can go after. So I suspect a lot of armies, maybe this would be a transition to get into the faction battle tactics conversation. If most tournaments are playing with faction battle tactics, faction slash book battle tactics, which I think most will, for better or worse, then I think a lot of armies will have then been given permission to care much less about galatian champions this season they'll have to care moderately about galatian champions for purposes of some of these battle plans but only moderately Mm -hmm. they will go after gaining momentum i4 and i desecrate their lands and cutting maneuver as four of their five like i think a lot of armies will set up to get those four some armies can do this one's mind pick one me on the battlefield complete this battle tactic if that unit is destroyed by an attack made by your general, your pick general. Okay. Obviously, a lot of armies are not going to be able to do that one right, because they've got like a Lord Relict or whatever, a utility hero that's not designed to go punch something in the face in combat. So if you have a lot of armies that are going to get gaining momentum, eye for an eye, desecrate their land, and cutting maneuver, which, I mean, especially if you're a tournament goer, you're pretty consistently getting those and they're not that challenging to get. I mean, gaining momentum can be a little tricky, because you you know, like somebody could pop a six-inch redeploy, right? Which now you got a, a nine to go get gaining momentum if you're a melee army. Like it can happen, you can fail that one. But if that's the case, you've got four of your five, and then you tap into your book battle tactics. Most factions in this game have at least one pretty easy faction battle tactic. So that's kind of in my mind problem number one, or one of the basic problems that I have, is that I think the faction battle tactics are just inherently going to reduce the need to care about glacian champions this season. Mm. Now, I mean, I could see it being a coherent view that says, well, who cares? I mean, that's a good thing, right? I want to care less about glacian champions. I don't like this design. I don't want to have to care about them. But if you're wanting to, like, the design intent is what it is. We're supposed to be playing with glacian champions, and faction battle tactics just make it so that we push further away from caring Mm -hmm. about them. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other thoughts around it, but that's one of the basic problems I have with faction battle tactics.
0: So what I'll put up with in the point counterpoint item to this is, in this handbook, I'm very pro book tactics, book strategies, if for no reason other than It makes the opportunity to play certain armies extraordinarily difficult, if not outright impossible in a competitive environment. The easiest and most obvious example to point to is Sons of Bayomet. They cannot complete five battle tactics. It is impossible. It cannot be done if you do not allow for book tactics. It's impossible. You can only score four. You look at the grand strategies of what's eligible, obviously they can't do Stake Acclaim, Survivor's Instinct, This Day Is Ours, and the three that you have remaining left, Tame the Land is going to be effectively impossible by the time that that game is over. You know, The only one that you might have a chance at is Take What's Theirs. right? Because in Defend What's Ours, as a savvy player, you know, playing against a Giants player, you go, I, they have four units. <laughs> right. They have at most seven to start sure. with. All I gotta do is, you know, get one stupid guy Mm -hmm. over there. Sure. That is obviously the edge case, right? Mm-hmm. You know, using that exclusively, I think, would be arguing in bad faith. You come around to sub factions of armies. I believe firmly that everyone should be allowed to play, you know, effectively whatever army they want, and it be within reason, competitive, right? That three and two margin, yeah. Right? The opportunity to win more games than you would lose. Sub factions like Fire Slayers, where you're riding on magma droths. Look at this handbook and say. If I'm not allowed to play book tactics, well, cool, I have to break, you know, what this army is built around. Mm -hmm. Beastclaw Raiders, uh, somewhat to a lesser extent, because you can take Hunters and things like that. This whole incentive process that we've gone to, to making some of those, we'll call it larger armies more viable, right? Geist's Battle Line, where you're playing around a specific theme,
3: Mm -hmm.
0: outright impossible to play the same game at the same level Mm -hmm. as... For instance, someone like you know Dan, who could be playing his night haunt with oh. five Galatian champions. Now, understanding that some of that is decision making process, Dan has eight battle tactics available to him at that moment in time. Assuming Damn. that we're playing one of these rare missions that right. where eight of eight is available at list construction, you are effectively saying something that the Games Workshop design team has already stated that they're not interested in pursuing, which is they want all of the War Scrolls to be usable within a, a certain percentage, and have every army at that certain win rate. By removing book tactics and removing book strategies, you are moving away from what Games Workshop's stated design intent is in Metalwatch. We have their designers, you know, on the internet, on record, <laughs> <laughs> right, saying that this is their goal, and that if we're playing without that, we are moving away from their stated goal, which is their fault.
2: You're kind of conveying you have contradictory design intense, I would say yeah that's,
0: (laughs) that's right what's the thing that's more important and I would argue the thing that's more important is the KPI the key performance indicators they've put out there which is you know their internal external balance you know their overall win rate their utilization of war scroll percentages those things are the in my mind your key performance indicators and your Handbook should shift that, your Battle Scrolls should shift that, that's inherently what they're there for, but this is basically taking a number of those War Scrolls, taking them you know, by the throat and then throwing them out of the bar. They are of no value in terms of the things that win you games, right? The battle tactics, the grand strategies, the, the points within the missions. They are useful in that they are models that serve a purpose, mm-hmm. but you are going to have to make an outsized judgment on what they're going to do relative to their points. Right. That's where I sit with this. To me, that's why you need book tactics. To me, they're there. If they weren't there, right, it's not even a conversation. You you go, this sucks, right? Because pretending for a moment that there are no book tactics, we would just be talking about all of the armies that have no opportunity, Mm -hmm. where we do have something like book tactics and we go, ah, there's a way out.
2: That's one of the one piece of what you said, Brendan, is one of the more I think compelling arguments I've heard in favor of faction battle tactics, which is it gets tired. I mean, I get it with Sons of Bannet. Like clearly, without faction battle tactics, they're borked. I mean, they might be borked anyway this season. Everybody, if you're running a, an event, create a hard mode award for Sons of Bannet players. Give them something to go after. <laughs> Best
0: Giants player.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. So your argument about some of these other army builds particularly all the examples you gave are monster oriented mm-hmm. you know magma drop spam oaken brow ants terror etc and how those would become certainly vastly less viable in this season if you are not allowing faction battle tactics I, that's coherent in my mind i get that and ultimately i don't know that there's no real way to like win this argument or to have no a i'll try a clear because yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's brandon right <laughs> <laughs> you know because we are talking about two very different uh design expressions or sort of like design outcomes and right. you, you summarized summarize it right so i'm saying if you allow faction battle tactics you are therefore going to reduce the relevance of galatian champions and in my mind you're going to do that considerably now at least There is the fallback, which is that we have some of these battle plans that have a role or two that makes for Galatian champions lightly or at least moderately relevant. So it's not like we're completely disregarding Galatian champions because we do have those battle plans. So that's good, right? Right. There's something there. I think that's compelling, that argument. Yeah, there's really no way. I mean, I could just say, well, that's the season we're in, man. We're not in the season for Magma Droths, and we're not in the season for Ents. We're not in the season for Terror Guys or Sons. We're in the season for Galley Champs. That's what they told us. And if we do Faction Battle Tactics, then that's pushing away from what they said that they want for this season. There's other issues that I have with Faction Battle Tactics, starting with the fact that most of us are not interested in trying to, you know, learn these hundreds of, they strike me stratagems, like a a light version of stratagems, as far as I can tell, have kind of screwed up 40k. I kind of hate the core of the way that they've done it. The system overall, I think, is the worst designed element of 3.0. It's so messy. It's so inconsistent. Mm. It creates for inequity. Like some of these, Lumineth and Zinch have multiple easy battle tactics. Stormcast have practically no viable battle tactics in their book unless you run dragons. It's all over the place right now.
1: My thought on this is that when you limit the choices that people can make and what they take to competitive events, I have a problem with that. Yeah. I, I just do. And whether or not I want to take a... Oakenbrow brow list or i want to take a list that has all dragonflies or i want to do something because i just think of tournaments i've been to where people take interesting lists everybody wants to go at least three and two everybody wants to have a winning record when they leave the tournament they don't go right. with the intention of you know they want to play something fun and right. whatever that is a lot of people do that there are people who go and they design lists specifically to go four and one five and oh i get that yep. I'm sitting across the table from one of those people, and I know I'm talking to you, who, yeah. you know, you want to be that top tables person. But I think a lot of players that don't, they want to have the option. It's not like they have to take, you know, those guys or those Ents or whatever it is in Sylvaneth, so, but you want to have the option to do that. And when you take that yeah. option away, then... It becomes demotivating for a lot of people who play the game or want to play the game and want to go to events and enjoy the events. And I think when you do that, that is harmful to the community. Mm. You know, so that's the way I look at it. And I think that if we need to make adjustments as, you know, TOs, you're both tournament organizers, if you need to make adjustments to make it so that more people feel welcome and feel like their armies, whatever their choices are, are viable, then I think you should encourage that. And if that means that You need to include for this, you know, it's just this season then that you include book tactics. Fine. You can do that. You have that flexibility, too, as a TO. You don't have to do that. Your your event's going to be in fall. We don't know what we're getting, Mm -hmm. Tyler. So you may not have to worry about including that. But somebody who's running, you know, guys who are running Rubicon, they need to consider that. And I think they should consider that. I just think it should be a game for everyone. And I think by limiting, based on what we see here, it makes it not a game for as many people and Mm. for as many people to have that enjoyment of going to an event and having the dream at least... (laughs) in somebody's case, sitting at the table, so of I'm, going three and two. So.
0: so I'm going to make the argument in a slightly different way. Maybe you'll okay. feel differently about it this way, Tyler. In allowing book tactics, and I know you've looked at these and spent some time thinking about it, because you and I have had a couple of conversations about it. On average, there are about four book tactics in people's books. It ranges between three and six. Mm-hmm. Your sweet spot is four to five you know, if you include all the white dwarfs and things like that, but for the most part, everyone's got their 3.0 book. And if you take Galatian champions and have access to your book tactics, you are on paper, you know, looking at about twelve tactics that are viable right? Mm. And if we really think about what those tactics are, they are army construction dependent in many cases. Daughters of Cain aside, because you're tome, you are largely taking the things that are auto-scorable. In the same way that, you know, we'll put Sons of Behemoth to the side, we'll take our worst defender, Daughters of Cain, and put that to the side as well. Mm. But in the Stormcast book, there are four, right? And there is two that are achievable in reality and each of them is army-less construction dependent as you and i have acknowledged in conversations if you're not taking a dragon then boy oh boy like right are they tall
3: orders
2: yeah that's what caused me to switch to i mean i wanted to play karazai this year anyway you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. <laughs> he's ready right. to play a cool monster model but yeah it was the realization and playing my early games in this new season wow it was hard to get that fifth battle tactic and i was Kind of, yeah, need a dragon to get
0: there. Anyway. Yep. So in opening up the book tactics, you're not opening up in reality four more. You're really opening up one or two. You're going from a a list that doesn't have Galatian champions from access to, again, we're going to pretend that we have missions that we are able Mm -hmm. to score all eight. You're going from an eligibility of eight. You know, you're throwing that away. You go down to four. You're going from four to six, effectively. Mm -hmm. A Galatian champion army is going from eight to ten. That, I think, is where the advantage lies. Having more opportunity, having larger flexibility, it becomes dependent on the player who has those Galatian Champions to know their stuff and know those opportunities. I don't think it's necessarily a disincentive to not take Galatian Champions. Yes, they're obviously, you're opening up another avenue, and it's going to de-incentivize some people from doing so, but... If you are going to be taking those things anyways, you have rewarded those players for making that choice by giving them an additional four battle tactics that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. Mm
2: -hmm. I would quibble with the idea, so you said that we're mostly opening up one battle tactic one to two viable. for
0: most players sort of right. out of the book right you know let's put the outsider to the outside which is daughters right. of Cain with the are, outliers yep. which is effectively three automatic battle okay. tactics that you can score for constructing your army in a normal way garbage so you are okay. going from if you're a non-galatian champion oriented army right Oaken Beastclaw yeah. brow beast claw raiders terror Geist, you know all that fun stuff you are opening up, really, at most, on average, two battle tactics. You are going from four to six. If you are a army that includes Galatian champions, you are going from eight to 10. And that is presuming that you have constructed your army in a way for those non-Galatian champions ones, where you even have ones to do that, right? The Skaven one is four, and all of them are fully army list construction-dependent, where you have to be taking certain kinds There's of units. Specific units. You only go from four to five in that case. Now, obviously, Skaven are going to have Galatian champions, so that's... A little outside of the point, but I don't think it's this incredible evil, right, if right. we're opening that door. It's a great evil for some of the things, you know, that have that high hit rate, which is why, you know, when this conversation has started originally, when most books started having book battle tactics, that my opinion was restriction of number, where you only permit one or two, right, <laughs> you know, setting the number somewhere... I am still for that.
2: Yeah, I think that would be a better place to be in, certainly. But yeah, if we're you. going to go all or nothing,
0: which is what the conversation is, right? You know, right. Most of us are inherently anti-comp. And placing restrictions or changing the points value of what you score for scoring book tactics is comp. Whether we want to call it that or not is, is its own thing. But that's what it is. Placing restrictions on the game as it is. I think that is the more appropriate solution. But mm-hmm. if we're going to talk all or nothing,
1: I'm certainly in the camp of let the book tactics play. So, Tyler, why don't you close this out for us in terms of battle plans, because this has been... Or battle tactics. Battle tactics, because I think this is a really important conversation to have, because the swing in the pendulum on either end is significant. And without the comp in the middle, to allow one book tactic in this environment... I think would be very appropriate. That's my thought on this. But Tyler, why don't you close this off in in terms of your thoughts on battle tactics?
2: Yeah, I think there's a myriad of ways of doing this that would be comp, therefore it's not going to happen with most tournaments that Mm -hmm. would be better, as opposed to just biting the whole hog. or or not doing it whatsoever. Yeah, this idea that Brendan mentioned about, was, so in terms of factions and how many have easy battle tactics, you know, book battle tactics versus medium battle tactics. We did do a show, as Brendan alluded to, uh, Vince and I, where we broke this down. And now, to be fair, with the list of factions that have a sizable number of, let's call them easy battle tactics, that was a pretty short list. Brendan already mentioned The Outlier, Daughters of Cain. We estimate about three of the six Zinch, we estimate about two of the five were easy. Slaves of Darkness, three of the six. So those were the main three that stood out. There are a number of factions that I think in the hands of good players, what we would often many of their faction battle tactics we categorize as medium would suddenly become pretty easy. I didn't that stand out in my mind. Luminath is another one, Luminath have a number that I think are pretty damn easy to achieve. So Yes. Like, at the end of the day, it's academic because most tournaments are going to run faction battle tactics. And I do definitely appreciate Brendan's argument about how if you did not run faction battle tactics, you are reducing the space of viable variety when it comes to lists. Yeah. In partic- in, right? And Dan, that's your argument as well. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's coherent. I appreciate that. Makes sense. Of course, at the same time, my argument is, well, that's fine, but, but. <laughs> they have a design intent with this season. Yeah. Yeah. And it is around Galatian champions. We're apparently supposed to be playing with Galatian champions. And faction mm-hmm. battle tactics reduce the need to play Galatian champions. Okay. Now, I also know that there's not equity across the 25-some factions in Galatian champions some have better options some have bodyguards right like you can find inequities all over the place at the end of the day we're talking about kind of different design intents that are at cross purposes but i think you guys have a very coherent view and yeah so uh, i I appreciate the discussion around all this
1: okay good so listeners we thought it was very important to have that lengthy conversation about this because it's going to affect the next six months of play and it's going to affect a lot of you individually how you build and what you do based on the decisions that the tournament organizers make on events that you're interested in going to so let's move on if we can guys battle plans i think what we said what half of them are about the same isn't that half right? half of them are exactly the same exactly the and there same are six old and six new battle plans and those are, are champion specific well
0: they have incentives for the most right. part for right. galatian champions but they are new missions okay not all of them are galatian champion oriented but that's the lean that a few of them take okay for obvious reasons
1: are there any standouts in the new ones tyler that you want to talk about any specific things that you have concerns about
2: got a couple of real bad ones <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, tell you what, I'll just try to give my high level thoughts and you guys, yeah, can give me your thoughts? I think we have, uh, Brandon's right, we have two that in particular, if we are going to be using faction battle tactics, Path of Champion, in my mind, is just ruled out immediately, because Path of Champion, what it says is, Leadership, Forge, and Battle at the start of your cure phase, if any friendly galley champs are contesting an objective wholly outside your territory, you can pick two battle tactics complete in that turn instead of mm-hmm. only one. I've deliberately tried this over multiple games where I created inequity, in the army matchups, right, where I played Stormcast without a dragon versus somebody like uh, Nurgle, who's on, even not really even on the high end of quality battle tactics, and then someone like Zinch with quality battle The inequity came up in every game that I've played, okay. where the armies with a deeper bench of faction battle tactics are outpacing Stormcast, and I run out in round four. So I have a hard time seeing how that does not just amplify inequity, in Battle Tactics, okay. and make for an unplayable Grand Tournament mission. Okay, and that's, faction that's Path
1: of a Champion was the first one, okay.
2: Yeah, so that one, and then twists and Turns. Oh I my come. god, I hate
1: this mission.
2: This is Relocation
0: Orb on steroids. <laughs>
2: yes. The bookkeeping is out of control. This one desperately needed an editor anytime you have <laughs> rule with this amount of text. <laughs> You have to immediately send it back and uh, start over, please. That's Uh,
1: hilarious.
2: Yes, this one is not going to see much play. I think it could be great for casual, maybe decent for uh, a not too serious RTT, a one-dayer. And then the other four, uh, there are three amazing ones in my mind, position over power, Jaws of Gallet, and then Hours for the Taking. Hours for the Taking and Jaws of Gallot are especially outstanding in my mind. And then I think folks can quibble over Only the Worthy. Only the Worthy has it to wear Shrines of Conquest. Whether any galley champs within six of an objective, only galley champs can contest that objective. In addition, no more than one galley champ in the same army can contest the same objective at the same time. So, Dan, you and I are playing. You go first. You get your Warsong Revenant on... An objective let's say on your right side and you've got it under control even if i have 20 chaos warriors right sure okay so that inevitably leads one to think that that amplifies the value of shooting of range damage mm-hmm. in general to snipe out those galatian champions sure you know armies that yeah could run galatian champions like lumina snipe out the opponent's galatian champions Cool. Isn't that an easy win? I got into a long argument with Vince about this on the show this week where I don't think it's that obvious in my mind. That certainly hasn't been my experience. I gave the example of my game on Tuesday this week against Lumineth. Really strong Lumineth list reflective of what we're going to see. Only 30 Sentinels instead of the 40 Sentinels uh, in Helon that get (laughs) the extra shots when when you're within six inches. A really strong Lumineth list. I wanted to see how my Stormcast Karazai Tim Protectors can hold up against it. And it did really well, like surprisingly well. And if he had decided, like Vince's argument... In my mind, I might be butchering this, but I don't think so. Pence was basically saying, in my view, he would just need to focus on sniping out my Azros, my Castellan, and my Relictor, aka my three galley champs, mm-hmm. and that would increase his odds of winning the game. Because, okay, right? Because he's a Luminath army that does sniping, blah blah blah. If he had done that, I would have won that game handedly. Okay. So anyway, I don't think it necessarily obviously adds up this idea of just shoot the heroes as a way of winning only the worthy.
1: Okay.
0: I agree with you because this isn't like old missions where only only heroes could take right. those three objectives, that one objective, those two objectives. This yes. is giving you deference to, take a 40K term here, objective secured for a specific keyword. Sure. Right. That's fine. Yep. I like it. You know, focusing on them in the right spots is going to help you win games. But if you are going to just from the top say these are my targets i'm taking them out you have neglected probably the mission winning force <laughs> that is being right. shielded by that opponent <laughs> three quarters Makes- of the opponent's army exactly
3: yeah. okay yeah um,
0: yeah karazai you know can stand there facing one you know goblin shaman and he can't take <laughs> it but if karazai is into the 60 goblins that are around him uh-uh. different story right, right? you know sure. the game state has changed right something is changing right because if you get rid of the hero you're still outnumbered 60 to 5 right <laughs> right by the goblins right. in that case there are other mitigating factors
1: yeah is what yeah. There, are. there are absolutely there are
0: other things that decide the outcome of that game okay no different than in the other missions where you know you get additional points sometimes for galatian champions achieving something or, or standing on a specific objective you get extra points fine removing galatian champions in that particular conversation mm-hmm doesn't mean that you automatically win the game because you killed the Glacian champion because there's not an extra five points that they can score. There's so much more at stake.
2: it's definitely a factor. And I'm sure there will be games that people will play where they're not able to get to the galley champs in time. Like melee armies might have a challenge in some situations where you've got a lot of crap you got to chew through, right? Maybe your opponent goes first, they alpha bunker on the objectives in the middle, let's say, and they are able to put a lot of crap that's durable and you're just not able to score those objectives and (laughs) you get down in primary scoring, right? And you don't have time to come. Like, it could happen, but it's not, yeah, remotely uh, an easy button victory in my mind.
1: All right. Thanks, guys. Good feedback (laughs) for
2: the battle plans.
1: Let us move on and talk very briefly about Endless Spells. There is no change except we want to make one one thing of note we want to talk about is that there is a discrepancy that most of you probably noticed between the battle scroll that was l- released in january and the wording for purple sun in this new book and so there are people who are going to try to wedge this to their advantage and you guys basically so, i know are saying no
0: so they're technically right yes in that the technically, technically correct, yep. in that the printing of the General's Handbook came after the release of the Battle Scroll. Mm-hmm. The Battle Scroll, which includes the wording for the Purple Sun, where your ranges and your murders we we talked about what the Purple Sun does. Yep. That the printing of the General's Handbook came after that, has different language than what the Battle Scroll is, and would yep. therefore be the new operational condition of the Purple Sun. No. As a tournament organizer, my firm opinion, if this is not corrected by then, is that we are going to play it the way that it is in the battle scroll. Intent rules as intended, really is what it is. We know it's a problem. We don't okay. have to relitigate it. It would be one of the strangest decisions that they've made from a rules perspective. Just be like, you know what? Ninety points, new edition. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. The, like n- sure. No, we saw seventy percent purple suns. Like
1: yeah. okay, that's the big important thing to be aware of. Yep. Core rules, there are no significant changes, they are intact. And are there any significant point changes? Are, there are yeah, a few. Yeah, you,
0: you got a bunch of them.
1: Yeah, I got a whole bunch of them in Sylvaneth. There's, Yeah, there's a whole bunch, especially for the big guys, which is really happy for me. Tyler, is there something, you know, you want to talk about a specific change for a specific army?
2: Point changes in general or for endless spells in particular? No,
1: point changes in general for, a, let's say, a specific army, anything like that.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, I thought this was one of the most compelling set of point adjustments that they made because it was clearly driven by data. Now, of course, it's looking to the past and we're now entering a new season with a different set of incentives and battle plans, right? Like, you'd have to try to make... Estimates and predictions on what you thought was going to suddenly become good and then set a point value accordingly They're hesitant to do that. So like it it has that inherent limitation, right? Okay, where it's looking back into the past with some of these But with that said I thought it was yeah, a pretty good set of changes on the whole there are some Examples. Otherwise, uh, just to go through some. Yeah, Sylvaneth got a number of appropriate point drops. I mean, they were competitive, but there were a number of pieces in that book that needed to get a point drop, like the Tree Lords, like the Tree Lord Ancient, even Durthu. Stormcast got a lot of love. There are a number of things now on the Stormcast menu that were not. So whether that's Caters, Sequiturs, you know, there's you could legitimately run a number of the Sacrosanct pieces that were completely off the table over the last year, or year plus, and do decently with them. I think that's exciting. What else? They did a nice job internal balance-wise with Idaneth. You know, they dropped the eels down, they dropped the turtle down, they dropped the Eidolons. What else? Yeah, just really good overall. I don't know. I could go through a lot of other factions. Right, right.
0: I mean, one of the real significant things is they're moving away from the five, you know. Oh, yeah. Like... They're back to the, the full zeros in terms of their intervals, so you're not yeah. going to see any 1995 lists anymore. You're going to see either 1990 or 2000. Right. So, so everything that ended in a five got adjustments, um, you know, which is pretty important, pretty significant. Frustratingly, right, you know, personally, the a lot of the death stuff didn't see adjustments to get them you know, back to where I'd like to have them be. You know, certainly Nighthaunt was the death army that was ruling the roost. Is there, as we all know, only one death army can be good at, at any <laughs> given moment in time. <laughs> sure. Especially given that when you look at something like OCR Bone Rapers, they have two Galatian champions and they really don't want to be doing the things that you have Galatian champions doing. Right. Flesh Eater Courts could have seen a number of adjustments a number of changes in, and effectively only got adjustments based on the five decimal place right the significant figure there Nagash is now back down to 900 so Ooh. you know that's fun that's exciting <laughs> but yeah like insanely Nighthaunt are the ones that got the most point
1: drops <laughs> I'm still thinking about that hundred uh, chainrest list I'm telling yeah. you Craven throw <laughs> guard at 90 Ooh, it's still useless
0: yeah, yeah
2: there's a lot of stuff that obviously was not getting played, got yeah. drops. Sure.
1: That's a whole yeah. other issue, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, Overall. maybe the Karen Wraith is an example. Like, the Karen Wraith is going to be incredible this season. Does it need to go down 15? Like, that's an example of looking back. Yeah, nobody was playing the Karen Wraith last season, but a lot of people are going to probably be playing the Karen Wraith this season. That's great. So does that point drop even make any sense? Probably not.
1: But... That's yeah. what we got.
2: Like I said, there's definitely what? a number of misses. Like, yeah, you can go into the details and quibble with a number of these. Like I thought Zeke oh, yeah. was kind of in um, Definitely death stood out, flesh of courts. Yeah, but I was oh, generally yeah. at least glad to see they were using data.
1: Yeah, so that makes sense. that is helpful. It's a nice change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Consistency is a good thing. Thank you both, Tyler in particular. Thanks for joining us for this. Your perspective is always valuable. And the fact that you've got experience across the board and a lot of these things and you're talking about this at length in other places You bring a lot of wisdom to this and I I appreciate that very much.
3: So it next one of you. I so thank it. you <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: right. Fair enough but with that gents. We are going to move on from the GHB to scriptorium
0: et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Okay, okay listeners we are back with scriptorium after a Small emergency in the Dan house. We it had a, looks like a valve failed in the home of the ancients. Yeah, the whatever home of the those, ancients. Yeah, whatever the studio name about is now. A half an inch of water on the floor, but we're good. We're pretty much cleaned up. Thank you, Brandon, for your help. It was amazing. Tyler came through the computer and was pushing towels with us. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the first and most important thing, actually, in this segment is that the Garrow book we talked about last episode is not Siege of Terra book eight. It's a Siege of Terra book, yes, but it's like Fury of Magnus. And Sons of the Celenar. yes, yeah. it's the novella in between the big books. I was obviously so excited because it was a Garrow book, so it is not a Siege <sighs> of Terra book. However, it is Garrow, unlike... The other, what, dozen volumes that have been in Siege of Terror, I did not wait for the hard copy. I still will get it, but I did download the audiobook, got about half an hour to go. It's because yeah, there's only like great. four
0: hours, and that's <laughs> the thing in Audible that I really struggle with, is spending the, the bits on... A short. ...on a four-hour book, right? Yeah, like the, ab- Six hours is where I go, okay.
1: Yeah, but this one, because of the subject matter, and... You were he, all in. Yeah, he's... You would... I don't know if you would enjoy this, but it's Death Guard, so it's Nurgle tyler and okay he's battling his primarch mortarian hmm. who is the the nurgle primarch so and he is a demon now He has changed since the last time Garrow saw him which is interesting anyway i wanted to make that correction listeners right away in terms of new releases we have that the Garrow book is out god eater's son is a mortal realms novel it looks really interesting it is basically a warrior who has had the sons of azir your buddies have come into his kingdom or his village and they are just tearing things up they are just tearing up people tearing up property like nothing is they're zealots nothing is perfect and they're trying to make it all perfect this guy is trying to be a good man but he's fighting them and he finally decides that he's tired of you know praying to sigmar because it's doing no good Mm -hmm. he's decided he's going to go another path and it Again, it seems very interesting. So God Eater Son, the 10th Gaunt's Ghost book is out, Armor of Contempt. That has been downloaded, of course. And then Wrath of the Lost, if you were a Blood Angels, in particular a Flesh Terrors fan, you would probably be interested in this. So it is a Flesh Terrors novel. So those are the new releases. Tyler reads, listens, watches. You
2: about me Tabletop Tactics 40k Bat Rep. They have this beautiful Flesh Terrors Army that oh. I've watched a number of back. It's just, it's absolutely gorgeous. Oh. Yeah, they play really well. Like, they're obviously very combat oriented. I love how they play. Yeah, a lot for work lessons, but obviously, I won't talk about all that political economy stuff. I don't want to bore everybody to death. For outside of work, what have I been watching quite a few movies? I got my Alamo Drafthouse. <laughs> um, membership re-upped uh, so what have I seen The Menu was amazing
3: mm-hmm.
2: really good film highly recommend it Ralph Fiennes is outstanding um, Anna Taylor-Joy Yeah, uh, just incredible cast Let's see I saw Megan Megan The Chucky robot (laughs) movie. That was pretty fun. (laughs)
3: Yeah,
2: and I watched Missing a couple nights ago. Integrates social media technology really well. You know, just various technology today, information technology into the filming, kind of the way that the plot of the movie, the way it's done about Mm. her mom that goes missing, lots of plot twists. Thought that was really fun. Really well done. Yeah, just a bunch of movies.
1: Okay, cool. Brendan, how
0: about you? I watched Rush on Netflix. Mm-hmm. That's I think it's Liam Hemsworth plays Mark Hunt and the Nikki Lauda season where he was caught in a fiery explosion wreck in Italy. Came back later in the season and I was uh, watch that movie. I downloaded all the president's men yep kind of wanted to get into that because of listening to zero fail and then oh yeah the totalis rancium of the richard nixon yes they warranted a whole additional episode to watergate and all the things that kind of came after that and you know so it's a It's like a 10 or a 12 hour book, effectively detailing all the things that went on in and around it from the perspective of the investigative journalists. Cool. We're writing the book. So, doing that. Great. You've been meaning to sit down and watch The Pale Gray Eye. I see it's on your list still as well. Yeah, Um, Pale Blue Eye, yeah. That's what I got.
1: Okay. I've been continuing to read Powers and Thrones, continues to be fascinating, got to the point where he's got an entire section on the Mongols now, and that is just fascinating. He actually, as he's done in the rest of the book, he picks certain historical characters. In this case, he picked Genghis Khan, and he actually did a really nice mini-bio on him, so you understood he wasn't just there all of a sudden, because you kind of perceive that. you know, All of a sudden, there was this guy. There's so
0: much more than that. Yeah,
1: and it talks about why the Mongols move west and south because they really moved south a lot. Basically took over all of what is now Iran. We're moving into the early Islamic areas. It's fascinating. Continues to be a really great read. I finished Slaying the Dragon, the D&D book. Great source material if you're interested in in the company TSR. I started The Lords of Mars, but which is the second Graham McNeil book about the Admech, But that abruptly halted because the Garrow book is being listened to and it's almost done. So I should be able to easily report on that next time. I'm continuing to watch the Bourne trilogy. I'm almost done with that. As you said, Pale Blue Eye is on our watch queue. And then another movie that sounds really interesting is called The Exception. It's on my watch queue now. It's set in pre-World War II Germany, and it centers around the Kaiser and basically trying to keep him safe. If you remember the movie, the Churchill movie, mm-hmm. his secretary is the main female character in this mm-hmm. movie, and she was really good in Churchill in that Churchill movie. So I saw the trailer for this, and it looked really fascinating so it's kind of pre-Nazi and then it goes into the Nazi time so it looks like it may be early and then into the you know mid to late 30s look pretty fascinating so that for me is my next couple of watches
2: that's it did you ever see The Forgotten Battle on Netflix?
1: yes yes
2: I've been meaning to watch that is that worth watching? I
1: think that's one of the ones we had talked about really really good I'll
2: have to add the exception too I haven't heard of that
1: one alright then boys let's move on to this or that (laughs) The way this is gonna work, Tyler, you're gonna get three questions from each of us, and then uh, you can shoot four back to either one of us. Uh, Sweet. Brendan, do you wanna hit Tyler up with your three questions for him? Sure. So, the way I come into the shows is I write out
0: most of them and I fill in usually one or two of them as the show goes on. Yeah. For Tyler, we do three piece so I filled in two and I left the one blank. So, I was planning on having this be two Warhammer related questions and one sports. No. Okay. Instead we have one Warhammer, one other, and one sports. Okay. So, for Warhammer, Tyler, what is the single best non bounty hunter change in this second half of the season for the handbook?
3: Mm.
2: Yeah,
0: and the non bounty hunter edition, the division.
2: Okay, let's see. Single best non-bounty hunter change. The aspects of the champion. Mm, Okay. I love the design of the aspects of the champion. I think they nailed it. It's very flavorful. All Mm -hmm. four options are solid. Yeah, just... A plus obviously
0: well documented here the failure of a valve in <laughs> dan's master bedroom tyler if something is going to fail in your home from a functional standpoint what is the thing that you feel you are most equipped to handle if it fails
2: <laughs>
0: that's a good
2: question oh goodness have we talked about how inept I am around the house with these things? <laughs> no. Okay, I feel like I feel like this is a setup. Uh, yeah, my dad was the ultimate handyman, and I seem to have ran the other direction out in that, on that front. That I most handle if something fails, like I could replace a, a belt of say a dryer, or what else could I do? I could probably I'm trying to think here something simple. I mean, it's hard for me. This shows how little I know about the mechanical functioning of Our <laughs> appliances world. around the house. <laughs> I'm, I'm having gonna... a hard time. I could plug if the microwave gets unplugged, Brendan, I can plug the microwave back in.
1: Okay. Okay. All right. That so the microwave. If yeah. the plug falls out
0: specifically.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Let's go with that. All right. I mean, I'm thinking about like, if something really went wrong with the fridge, could I repair it? Uh, yeah, you could go into YouTube and go on an adventure and see oh, what you yeah. figure out. But yeah, yeah I'd, I'd be highly reliant on YouTube or, or just
3: call a handyman.
0: So, my last question as one of the conditions for coming out of the show, Tyler required that I no longer ask him questions about. The Milwaukee Bucks <laughs> world championship in oh, 2021. Wow. This is this is a hidden thing. Yeah. I didn't know so, about this. Yeah, so the, these are the terms. So I am not going to ask Tyler about the 2021 world champion Milwaukee Bucks. I am instead okay. going to ask about Giannis kumpo Is he a great international player or the greatest international player? Oh
2: uh, Jesus. I knew that I was gonna have to have a contract worth of stipulations. Yeah. I was gonna
0: say power forward and I knew that would be too upsetting a question for you, so I figured uh, going international yes. player would lessen the upsetting impact of the question. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, the problem, my friends, is there's one Nikolai Jokic playing in the NBA now, and you know my feelings on new White Jesus. So ah, yeah, he is quite good. <laughs> I love Giannis. I mean, a- as far as our career goes so far, what are the competitors? We've got Luka, of course. We've got Jokic. I mean, I love me some, some Manu, but Manu's obviously not on the level of either of those three.
0: Well, I mean, it's still time, right? You know, the like, d- do we got? Dig we back. Got s- like, I know that, you know, Yao doesn't fit into that categorization. Certainly unique mm-hmm. in play, but
2: yeah, I wouldn't rate him. Yeah. Uh, at that level of those three. I mean, you know, obviously Luca still pretty early in his career, but things play out as hopefully they will, he's gonna be an all timer. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go with I'll I'll go I'll cheat a little bit, go based on a hope for X a hope for, you know, future with Jokic, and I'll pick Jokic. But okay. Giannis is right up there, obviously.
1: Okay, Jokic it is. So, merely great international player, understood. Really, okay. really great, yes, <laughs>
3: indeed.
1: So, I have one Sigmar and two non-Sigmar questions. So, the first one if you are going to build an Warclans army, Oryx in particular, or when I say Oryx, I mean... Uh, Iron Jaws? Iron Jaws. Are you going to build a foot or a cavalry army? Do I have a third option, a mix? Nope. You have one or the other. Foot
2: or cavalry. Well, uh, one of my friends called last season the pig meta. That that was just his description. The pig meta. So I couldn't stand the pig meta and how Iron Jaws, yeah, turned into an army that was essentially a bunch of pigs, maybe a cabbage, a couple cheerleaders, maybe a weird knob. But essentially, how many pigs can you fit into a list? Right. Uh, So, yeah, I absolutely can't pick that, so all foot. Okay. I think there'll be some play with our boys and brutes, thankfully this season. All right. Obviously with a mega boss foot as well.
1: Coolio. When you are attacking a book, would you prefer to read it or listen to it? Read it. Okay. Great. Yep.
2: Old school. I really resonated with nice. who was on your show talking about how they hate hearing about a book getting, you know, broken okay. down through YouTube videos. They need to I know Brendan has this. He wants to smell it, taste it, touch it. Yep. Read it. Yeah, and live, but yeah. uh, somebody else on your show was talking about this. I can't remember who it was. Okay. But anyway, if people, you know, were playing Warhammer growing up, if you want to get immediately transported back to your childhood, just open up, crack open a new battle tome, and um. flip through the pages, and instantly, yeah, you can go back 20 years. It's amazing. That's so cool. The smell of those books.
1: Oh, yeah, right? Nothing wrong with Dead Tree books at all. Okay. <laughs> so last question, if you were going to just for fun either study astrophysics or particle physics hmm. what would you prefer
2: probably astrophysics I looked into particle physics a little bit when I thought I was going to potentially become a physicist uh, early on and quickly <laughs> realized that was a terrible idea for all those reasons but yeah uh, I mean I studied astrophysics a little bit but more at the level of you know your Brian Green your Neil deGrasse Tyson mm-hmm. your Carl Sagan right like not really in any serious way I kind of have a, an amateurish understanding, but no, astrophysics. Mm. Okay. Fascinating.
1: Okay, cool, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, reading about the history of science is amazing, though. Oh. I, I remember reading some really good books on particle physics and mm-hmm. just, yeah, the history of science in general. It's yeah. quite fascinating. Yeah, how, you know, all these different efforts to come up with a unified theory of everything and yeah. kind of the right. twists and turns of that over the years. And yes, yeah, it's, it's fascinating.
1: Okay, it's your turn then.
2: Okay, wait, uh, let's start with Dan. Okay. Dan, which is the greater elf nonsense? We always have to have elf nonsense in this game. It's a prerequisite. It's written into the bylaws of Games yes, Workshop. Yes, of course. Teclis and the Sentinels or Marathi and the Bowsnakes?
1: Oh, Teclis and the Sentinels. You've not even laid against that. Ugh, you don't know how ridiculous that. Just knowing what little I do, to Brendan's point, uh-huh. it just looks stupid. I think that's just so representative of elf foolishness. Okay. All I'll, I'll Brindad, put
2: that Brindad, down Brindad, on the would, table for you
1: at some point. Okay, oh yeah. Just to see. <laughs> Brendan, would you go Techless of the Sentinels over
2: Marathi and the Bow Snakes? In present
0: state, yes. Marathi and the Bow Snake, with a very limited window exception, has always been manageable. Mm. Yeah. I think one of the key dividing points you know, between good and great Sigmar players is, can, do they understand how to handle Marathi in different environments? Mm. Mm. She's very unique, her ability can be very frustrating. However, if you know how to manage it, it's nothing.
2: Okay, so Brendan... You've only got two options here, obviously. This or that. Determining priority round one in Age of Sigmar. Are you keeping it the same or are you modifying it?
0: I am keeping it the same. Modifying it turns it into 40k. Mm -hmm. I do think that there should be unique distinctions between the two games. It shouldn't be Warma Hordes where you can basically play one faction from one game and one faction from the other and you're able to play the exact same game. You Mm. you shouldn't be able to take your quote-unquote fantasy element from Hordes or your science fiction element from War Machine, push that together. I don't like that. I think we should be playing two different games.
2: Dan, let's see. Would you rather see the future or change the past?
1: (laughs) Change the past. Why? I just think that because when you change the past, you affect the future. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't know what the effect's going to be, no matter what you think. But I think that's what I would rather do.
2: Okay, right on. Do I get one more? Yeah, one more. All right. I kind of know what I think Brendan's answer to this would be, but I'm actually curious to hear a, a breakdown of it. So, yeah, I'll ask it. Brendan, team tournaments or doubles tournaments?
0: Ooh. I That's... personally much more enjoy teams events. I find them to be really the pinnacle of competitive play. You theoretically have neutralized all of the what ifs. That playing in a singles event you come across. I find the doubles to be very enjoyable and a greater expression of, you know, kind of the things you and your partner are, are able to do at a table, but it is ultimately a less competitive environment because the game is really not built for that. In many cases, doubles is finding and exploiting very weird and very niche loopholes to do something, but they, in many cases, are loopholes that you wouldn't close mm-hmm. um, just because their overall net impact is fundamentally zero
2: if i may what Mm -hmm. is your defense of the critique against teams that teams is inherently about amplifying skew amplifying imbalance because of course you're trying to maximize matchups in your favor which all the sequel i think would lead most people to think well that just amplifies skew and balance Mm -hmm. in games
0: I really don't think it does. In both of my go about in Teams events, the list that we took to great success, I would not call Skew By any stretch of the imagination, you know, the first run out at ATC in the win was just us taking the four strongest lists that we could field. Mm-hmm. Last year, you know, we put a very, what ended up being traditional Night Haunt list on the field. You know, 40 Blade guys will solve a lot of problems. <laughs> right. um, put a very classic, you know, Iron Jaws and Lots of Pigs list on the field. Put a, what turned out to be a very effective and classic Skaven list on the field with, you know, 2 by 6 Storm Fiends. The okay. only thing that was more skew was our Stormcast list. But even then, I wouldn't call skew. It just leaned on the ability to be in a lot of places all at once.
2: I guess part of, partly I was more referring to the potential for the games themselves to have skew slash imbalance more. You know, like you kick the hell out of me because we're in a matchup where you're favored to kick oh, the hell out
0: of me sure that's that's the result of in normal regular games you don't have choice of pairings at all right you know dan mm. you're playing tyler like that's right. it that's what it's gonna be <laughs> yeah if that happens to be an imbalance game that happens to be an imbalanced game if it happens to be a close game it happens to be a close game by using what is hopefully a quote-unquote predictive metric in what your current record is
3: mm-hmm. you
0: know however many points you've scored the path to victory is ideally when two good teams play against each other you shouldn't be accepting many blowouts on one side or the other because then the game hangs in the balance of your close ones you want to set it up where all of your matchups are advantageous ideally and in that case you're looking to get more points in your opponent in all of them you want to win all four all five all six all eight however many sized your team is that's why you put caps on team events so you can't run away with it
2: Okay, right on. Yeah, I appreciate that. Obviously, that's something I've been interested in learning more, better understanding this year is the team format. But, yeah, very cool.
1: All right, gents. I think that's it. Let's move on to show clothes, shall we? There is something going on around here, something you may not even know about. Sunday announcements. Yes. Yes. Well, we got two
0: new shows planned for us. (laughs) Gits and Beasts of Chaos are going up for pre-order on Saturday. Awesome. two battle tomes, a month worth of shows. That puts us through the rest of January and into the start of February. So
1: Perfect. Love
0: that. Yep.
1: Awesome. Any Q&A for you, Brendan?
0: I did get one from a Dr. True asking, which are the two best Galatian champions, in your opinion?
3: Wow,
1: For
0: me... <laughs> Warsong Revenant's got to be either first, if not, like, is the top two minimum. It's got to be the Warsong. Okay. High level of durability. Granted, it's only seven wounds, but you have a ward save in there. A There's really The ability to heal. The amount of damage you can save. do is incredible. You have, in Sylvaneth, the ability to teleport around the battlefield. Really, really, really awesome Galatian champion. And I think Tyler's convinced me that the Knight Azeroth is probably the other one.
1: Okay. Tyler, do you have an answer for those? Other than the Knight Azaros? what would be other, your other choice?
2: Sure, yeah. I feel like Chaos Lord has to be up there. Mm. The fact you can retinue the Chaos Lord, you know, with your 10, 20 Chaos Warriors or 10 Chaos Chosen, I think that's going to be quite common. And just a, a really nice piece. Let's see. Top. I wonder if KO is going to be running some Injured Masters with Dirigible mm. Suit. I feel like that might be an interesting one.
3: Okay.
2: Yeah, I really like the contorted epitome as a Galatian champion Mm -hmm. uh, for a host of reasons. You know, the two-up ward, I think it's nice with the Tusk Helm. I feel like you can get a lot of play out of that as a galley champ. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of good options.
1: One question from several people based on the last episode, and the question was, are you guys buying an RV? for Cindy and I. And it's like, the answer is maybe because I think mm. we're in early stages. Yeah, she just said, no time soon. So we're in the early stages of investigating. It was really nice though that the people who sent the question all sent pictures of their own RVs and most of them were pulled behind trailers. So that mm. was kind of fun. It was just nice that people had the curiosity about it. We're going to go to probably one of the biggest RV shows in Wisconsin. It's going to be in Milwaukee beginning of March. So we're going to go there and see what we can see. And we've already rented the RV last fall. We've gone out to look at other ones at different dealerships and stuff. So we're still in the exploratory phase, I guess would be the answer. With that, episode 115, Brendan, do we have a choice? We do, don't we? Because we're going to have two books. What are we thinking? Beasts, probably. I would like to do Beasts first.
0: Yeah, we can do Beasts first. I know we've talked about trying to get Nick McKenna yeah. to talk about Gits. So yep. I'll chat to him and see if that's something he wants to do. He hasn't played in a while, but you know, hey, he,
1: he loves his little goblins. Yes, he does. That would be great to have him on board. Yeah, so...
0: Yeah, it seems straightforward. Fascinated by what this is going to be, right? The direction that some of these 3.0 books have taken. Mm-hmm. The change to the Herdstone in that White Dwarf. Mm-hmm. changed the fates of Beasts of Chaos oh. significantly. Extended period of time. We'll see what sticks because I love that fix in the short term, right? It's what got mm-hmm. them you know back to being a meaningful player. I don't like that fix in the long term because it was something where you basically threw in the towel of there's nothing that fixes this army except for... This. Y- except for <sighs> a huge... Increase in value Mm -hmm. in this army Mm -hmm. from existing. We couldn't lower the points enough to make this work. We would have to change all the War Scrolls, or we'd have to do all this, we'd have to do all
1: that. So I'm really interested to see what... See if there's some other fundamental mechanic they've incorporated. Exactly. And I hope it retains, because
0: Beast of Chaos was my first fantasy army. I have a very soft spot for the army. So it being competitive and i don't need it to be the winningest right right but it being viable in a meaningful way because mm-hmm. i love the Brayherd stuff like the gores and the Ungores and the
1: best of mm-hmm. if
0: that stuff is good i'm gonna be thrilled
1: and for me when i looked at both of them i think about those fundamental mechanical changes that showed up in the allegiance abilities page in night haunt i mean just mm-hmm. some really amazing changes to their base rules made them a much more competitive army. Very different animal. And I would love to see that for both Gits and Beasts when they come out, so.
2: Uh, Okay, I gotta uh, What is gonna be the top army this season? Each, (sighs) you guys, give me one. For the season? Let's say the top army for the first two, three months. What's gonna feel like the strongest army? Like, I would say Beasts of Chaos are probably the top army there for a while.
0: We'll see what that book is, right? You know, if it is really just a slight update, in in that case, I'd say, yeah, you know, you're gonna feel a pretty good about that.
2: Uh, let me get the obvious one out of the way. I think Nighthaunt are kind of the, in my mind, they're the obvious pick of one that's going to be extremely powerful this season.
3: Yep. Okay.
2: It's just like, yeah, slam dunk.
0: I see Zeech being very good. I see Nighthaunt being very good. I see Stormcast being very good. And then, out of the destruction book, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I think right now, Big Wah is going to be very good. Mm. Um, Mm. Four Up Rallying Boys with all of their benefits is ridiculous. I think we've all taken note that playtesters have been collecting and painting squigs recently. (laughs) Um, So we'll see what that means. And I've heard through the grapevine that the corn book is broken beyond compare. Uh, Awesome. Hooray! (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) Just what we need. All right. Well, that's it then, gents, I think. Cool. Tyler, thank you again for all your patience today with everything going on and for coming back on board. It's been great talking to you as always, man.
2: Yeah, it's been a lot of fun.
1: Sorry that uh, I may have to wait till fall to take my long trip down to Springfield, yeah. but that's okay.
2: Yeah, I'll let you know as soon as possible. Yeah, no, that's,
1: that's all good. We'll, we'll make plans for it. So. Awesome. And thank you, Brendan, as always for being here, listeners, for hanging in there with us. Uh, We hope that was useful, especially that focus on the battle tactics and all that that can bring to the game. And as always, thank you for coming along on the ride. We hope that you stay safe, you stay healthy, and of course, don't forget shenanigans, Tyler, because (laughs) life is better when you're up to something. Bye!
3: This is the end.